we'll, we'll talk about Idaho in a little bit. Just wanted to gas them up for your, your listeners. Cause I, I hear you guys revolve everything back to Idaho slick. I, you guys are so good at that from the start of this. We are the tribe from the North. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating our rivals never gets old. Making our way to the big sky conference. Watch out. Cause here comes the silver and gold. Welcome back, Tribe from the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals. I am your host, Chris Hammond, and with me today, I have our other hosts, Brian Marceau and Alex Boatman. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing all all right so far. All all things considered, it's been a pretty crummy Tuesday for Vandals, but... uh, Yeah, we also have special guests joining us, uh, Taylor Barton. You probably know him if uh, you're just a general Idaho watcher from being the Root Sports commentator for the Big Sky Game of the Week. Uh, if you're involved remotely in high school football around the Northwest, uh, pretty big name. He's part of the Northwest Nine and also the Alliance Quarterback Academy. So you've been doing, I mean, I know my first, when I first learned about you, is you were doing campus tours uh, of mm-hmm. all the schools out west, and that's what, I was a student at Idaho at the time, and saw you at the Kibbe Dome, and then Weber and Montana, and mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously since that you've you've taken over and done a, a ton of stuff. But uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, we're yeah. happy to happy to have you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. I got my Colorado hat on for you. I know you ended up transferring, but uh, repping. No, I I, I, <laughs> I love it. That was uh, you know, a bunch of Oregon, UW. You know, so Boise State, I Colorado out here is is few and far between. So yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I wear it every once in a while, and I always get the uh, the oh, did you go to Colorado? I'm like, no, no, just a nope. uh, cool hat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's big news. A lot of stuff's coming out. For those of you joining us live um, on YouTube or watching it the next day, some of this news will probably still be relevant because uh, the NCAA Board of Governors just met. Decisions are to be made tomorrow. So by the time you listen to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you may listen to your podcast, this could be very outdated information. Um, but until they pull the plug, we've decided to cover as if the season is happening with what information we have at the time of recording. So as of now, we brought Taylor on because he's seen more Big Sky teams live and in person than any of us have other than maybe Alex. Um, but uh, we figured he'd be a good person to have on here to kind of talk all the big sky, what what to expect out of 2020 if 2020 is to happen. Um, we want to thank this week's and all-season sponsor, Montucky. Ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky cold snack, an ultra-refreshing light beer born of majestic big sky country. The best part is when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky cold snacks donates 8% of all profits back to local causes, even right here in Idaho. Supporting organizations like the CW Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw! That's freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, a light American lager for Pow Pow Rippers, Gator Wranglers, Pony Riders, and Badass Do-Gooders. Visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get your ass some snacks. So, around the bar, Brian, why don't you kind of uh, lead the uh, pack as it were here today? Well, do we want to start off with the Idaho part? Or we want to do the Big Sky. Big Sky. We'll save okay. Idaho for, for after. 
Perfect. So a couple weeks ago, and some of you guys, some of you listeners may already know about this, uh, Big Sky held their virtual media days, released their polls, uh, players of the year, all that kind of stuff. We'll get to in a second. But um, we decided we're, again, until there's no season, there is a season, we're, we're going to do our own uh, Tubbs the Club poll. We're going to handle a little bit different uh, than we have in the past, where instead of everyone picks a 13th team and then we talk about it, we're going to work a snake draft, uh, starting from the bottom, working all the way up. Uh, each of us will. I'll, I'm going to go first. I will. I'll draft my team, and then we're just going to move on from there. So starting at 13, you guys. I don't know uh, which if there's any team in the history of football I've been less excited about than uh, Southern the Southern Utah Thunderbirds in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not uh, picked 13 in either the coaches or media poll. But, you know, I spent a decent amount of time covering the entire Big Sky last year while I was I, uh, I wrote the Montana Mint's weekly newsletter. And I, I don't know of a situation right now in the Big Sky where there's less to be excited about. Uh, Taylor, maybe you can talk me off the edge or do I, do I have this right? Southern Utah, like there's just not going to be that much for us to talk about. Yeah, I'm, you, you see me over here. I didn't interrupt you. I let you go because uh, I'm. We're on the same uh, same train on this one. I and you know, the Big Sky, and I'm a Northwest kid. I was familiar with all Big Sky programs, but Southern Utah, I just didn't know much about. And I did a game out there a few years ago, and had to fly into Vegas and then drive over there. And um, I know years ago they had that one really good run and we're co-big sky champions but watching them uh the last couple of years uh i i'm in agreement with you i think they're uh definitely uh rounding out the bottom of of the conference i just there wasn't much i saw that had people the optimism was tough to to find in the the, the future of what we saw so i'm hoping things can can get um turned around there and um, get more excited, but if, if I was a fan, I, I'm not sure I would have any dates circled on the calendar uh, for any upcoming games. Yeah, I will say just a plug for any Southern Utah people out there. This time last year, we said the same thing about Sac State. So, yeah, the Big Sky is a conference where you don't know anything. So, yeah, you might be getting pegged last right now, but as Sac State's proven, Big Sky is such a out of nowhere conference. So, prove us yeah. wrong. I believe uh, Brian is – so, no, it's Alex, right? Or Brian – We got to hear Alex's take on Southern Utah. Yeah, there's not not, not a very big take. Uh, This is Big Sky small take. Um, You know, I've played the the Thunderbirds once, wasn't impressed with a couple years ago, haven't seen much improvement since then. Um, I know they changed over, you know, their coordinators since the end of last year and the lack of spring ball – in fall camp right now really might hurt them even more. So, yeah, I like them kind of to finish bottom of the conference. And I'll, get, I'll roll right into my pick since I'm going next. Uh, pick 12, I'm going to go um, Idaho University of Idaho Southern Branch, also known as the Idaho State Bengals out of Pocatello. Um, so, Idaho State, I have a really weird hate, love-hate relation with Idaho State. Um, my cousin's a big Idaho State fan, but I did not like going to the Pocatello and in 2018 that place sucks but um you know last year they had, they had trouble with uh, ball security on the offensive side they could put up points but then also 
they also gave up a lot of points, and they also shot themselves in the foot a lot. Uh, new transfer quarterback coming from Wyoming as well to compete. That should be interesting. Don't know um, their dynamic um, and how who's going to win that starting job. And then I'm hearing their own line is going to have a lot a lot of work. Um, and in my opinion, if you if you struggle in the trenches on either side of the ball, you're going to be hurting um, for the whole year. And also their schedule. Let's look at their schedule. I mean, they have to play Weber, um, Montana State, UC Davis, Sac State, um, Idaho, Cal Poly. These are all teams that are supposed to finish above them. Uh, I don't really mm-hmm. see any any too easy wins they got uh, on the schedule this year. So, yeah, go for the Bengals in 12. Brian, what are your takes yeah. on Alex's take? Man, if you look – at Idaho State, and they're at least a little more interesting to me than Southern Utah because Idaho State does – they have had some talent. Now, they lost a lot of they, – mm-hmm. they had maybe the second-best set of wide receivers in the league last year um, mm-hmm. in Mitch Goler, Mikey Dean. Both both those guys are gone. Running back Ty Flanagan's gone. Um, if you look through oh, how – if you look at how Idaho State's schedule went last year, they essentially broke after we beat them at homecoming – and they finished the year on a streak of blowouts. They had a single one-score game losing to Northern Colorado, but other than that, they were blown. They even got blown out by Southern Utah. And part of that was while Matt Strzok was throwing a ton of touchdowns to other teams, which, uh, Taylor, a separate question I've, for when you go, have you ever seen anything that wild, how many points he gave to the other team? Um, you know, we, we like Rob Fennessy here. He's definitely a friend of the podcast, whether he knows it or not. But I <laughs> – I, I got to tell you, Alex, I'm, I was with you on the schedule. Um, I, the reason I went with Idaho, I went with Southern Utah instead of Idaho State is I do think that Idaho State, like there is a little asterisk of there is some talent that, um, you know, could, that can do something that a Southern Utah doesn't. But I don't think there's a lot of hope in Pocatello. What about you, Taylor? Yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, they had some some big time playmakers leaving. I mean, that that hurts a, a, a team that didn't have a ton of potent weapons uh, outside of that. Um, th- they were just such an interesting team to me because it was it, they were kind of like a bipolar team last year. You'd see one quarter and you're like, whoa, this team, like they played like this, could go make a, a run at a, a conference championship. And then the next quarter you'd see them and go, whoa, this is this a FCS team? It was just really interesting. So you could take that kind of e- either way. They're, they showed signs of, hey, the system, when the kids understood it and did it well, both sides of the ball looked really good. And if you can get some playmakers in there, uh, it, it enhances it. Uh, on the flip side, man, when it was bad, it it, it was bad. And they're going to need to shore some of that up with uh, some new inexperienced players. So that's usually not a recipe for a ton of success. Yeah. I was on record last year of actually thinking Idaho State was going to beat Idaho. So I do think going into the year, they were doing all right. Uh, They had a good first couple games. And then I think we all kind of nailed it. Last year at Idaho is kind of when the wheels came off. Matt struck, quit throwing four or five touchdowns a game with no picks to throwing multiple picks a game. Um, And I think we touched on it. They got Vanderwall transferring in from Wyoming. It's not necessarily set in stone that he's going to win the job over Struck, but you just seem with how Struck struggled late in the year that it seems that they're probably going to go with the Wyoming transfer. But um, 
I don't know. I, I do think Idaho State has potential. I wouldn't personally have picked them at 12. Uh, I think they're a little bit higher than that. Um, but uh, they do lose a lot. They've lost the Gellers over the last couple of years. Uh, now they might watch uh, Michael Dean. So they're, uh, they're definitely going to be a pretty fresh Ty Flanagan as, that was already covered. They're going to be basically a very new-faced team this year. Not a lot of returning stars. So at 11, though, um, is probably where I would have put the Bengals. So I guess I'll just put in where I would have had 12. I'm going to go with Northern Colorado. Uh, I do think this is kind of a, a tough spot to put Northern Colorado because I do love everything that Ed McCaffrey is doing down there in Greeley. I think he's really got the wheels turning. I think he's getting recruits in that he normally wouldn't have, and he's got people just in general excited about the program. That being said, there's just a lot of ground to make up. Uh, I think as far as a 12th place team goes, I think they're going to be really competitive. And Northern Colorado is already that team that won one or two games a year that they shouldn't have. Uh, I expect more of that this year. Um, so so I, I feel safe putting them at 11. I think they could easily finish somewhere between, you know, that 10 to 12 spot. Uh, I, I think they've got, obviously, they're losing Jacob Nip, who's been a quarterback there for a while. So just like every other Big Sky team, it's going to be, you know, the rhetoric throughout this whole thing. We only have two basically guaranteed returning starters, a lot of new faces. So if they get the right guy in, they could move up higher, but that that's going to be it with everybody. So assuming everybody has a pretty mediocre person, I just think they don't quite have the pieces there yet, um, but I expect them to rise uh, as the years go on. But right now I, I feel comfortable putting Northern Colorado at 11. Yeah. They, this is something that maybe for us, cause we're kind of inside baseball. It's, it's just so easy to forget right now, but the the Big Sky Conference could see as many as 11 new starting quarterbacks next year. Um, all three teams that we've talked about have a very good – well, Southern Utah will have a new starting quarterback. Idaho mm-hmm. State very likely have a new starting quarterback, asterisk. Matt Struck threw 20 touchdowns last year, but 11 came in two games. So if you take out those 11, he threw, it was nine touchdowns, 12 picks uh, through the season. But back to, to Northern Colorado, they're going to have a new quarterback too. They, we've seen – uh, a couple transfers come into the program that this year, uh, you know, like they have a guy coming from Michigan, think he's a running back. We we might be surprised at seeing, but uh, if you look at Northern Colorado last season, for being a last place team, they actually had a lot of pretty close games. You know, they had yeah. four games they lost by one score. I'm calling eight points, one score. Um, so, relative to being towards the bottom, you know, there's a few games that. I mean, really, just one of those games goes differently. They're not tied for in the five-way tie for last place last year. Um, Ed McCaffrey, I think, is gonna is definitely as big a bump at the coach position that you're gonna get at a place like Northern Colorado. There's at least uh, some reason for excitement there. But they're, I mean, they're like another team where we'll talk about in a little bit. I think the lack of prep is, you know, just magnified when you have a you have a new coach coach and all the new talents in there. How about you, Taylor? I what you just said, I think, is so key. It, it, there's, of course, everyone wanted to have spring ball, summer workouts, you know, all, all of these things. But there are certain programs where it hurt more. And anytime you have a new coach and staff coming in, it's not just implementing the system; it's getting a feel for your personnel, right? How coachable are guys? How quick can they make? Uh, adjustments. When you're in a game, are they going to be able to make in-game adjustments? And those kind of things you you miss when uh, everything gets shut down. So I I think that is going to hurt them more than than other teams. But um, 
you're right. I, I went to University of Colorado for a couple of years out of high school. And so I was in that state and he was with the Broncos at the time. And that was when they were winning back to back Super Bowl. And I mean, he's just McCaffrey is beloved in that state. And I think that's going to help him so much in recruiting because it's going to get them in doors of high schools and recruits homes that prior to that, why would they be opening it uh, to, to Northern Colorado? I mean, I think a lot of kids, you know, in state, it's University of Colorado, it's it's Nebraska, others. So um, I think it's going to take some time for them to land some recruits. In the meantime, you're going to see them getting a lot of transfers down from the S- FBS level uh, to kind of act as JC type players, where it's just a stopgap to get better personnel in there than they have, but then try and build a solid foundation out of high school kids. And, and that's going to be about a two minimum three uh, year process. But I think they're going to be a, an improved team uh, in the little details of discipline systems, all of that. But the personnel is going to take a couple years to get on par with the Montanas and Eastern Washington to the conference. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, like Colorado, Northern? I like Northern Colorado. Yeah. I like Northern Colorado better at 11 than I like Idaho State in the terms of I just think Northern Colorado's more in the right direction than, than Idaho State was, at least in the latter part of the year. You know, we talk about North Colorado and closer games. I remember watching our game with them. Um, this team had some fight in it, at least they did personnel-wise. And with that new coaching staff, so I just like where they're headed more. Um, they might win a game or two more this year. So, yeah. All right. Taylor, who you got at 10? At 10, I've got Cal Poly. Um, I actually just did a, a, a call a couple weeks ago with uh, Bo Baldwin um, and one of my favorite college coaches. I, it, Bo Baldwin is just a guy's guy. He is awesome guy to talk to, be around. I mean, he's just, um, just a, a cool cat in every way and just a, a really good recruiter, a really good um, X's and O's guy. Um, so I think he's going to do incredible there. He's got ties into so many different areas now uh, for recruiting uh, based off of the areas he's been. Um, but he's walking into a situation where the type of offense he wants to run uh, is polar opposite of what they were running uh, the past however many years. You know, you you that is like alternate universes to walk in from a triple option team to now what he wants to do. Um, They've got athletes. Uh, they got a lot of athletes in that program, um, but someone's got to be able to get them the ball. Uh, quarterback in this conference is so important. I mean, it's like seven-on-seven seven football. You can't be good without a good quarterback in seven-on. That's why Big Sky, Big Sky is like seven-on-seven uh, seven football in in pads. Uh, they just, you know, they aired out, put up points, and uh, with what Bo wants to do, um, I think it was a good hire, the offensive coordinator, uh, bringing in Nick Edwards, who had been on his staff at Eastern Washington, uh, was on the staff with him at Cal Berkeley. So uh, he really, you know, trusts Nick and um, wants to open up play calling duty to him. But I think ultimately he's going to be the guy calling the the, the plays uh, early on. Um, but he's got to find he's got to find somebody who he can trust that can can deliver the ball to the athletes that they do have uh, currently. Yeah, I uh, my my take on this, I, I think you're once again we talked about it with Northern Colorado. I think this is one of those situations where not the pandemic is going to hit them harder than some schools because one, you got a new coach coming in that's already hard, but you're just totally 
doing a new system. And uh, I think that's that's tough. I mean, you're going from a triple option team. I remember at Media Days, Cal Poly talking about, you know, or uh, Bo Baldwin talking about how he's now got guys who are lined up at fullback who he's trying to teach tight end or D end. And um, it's just not what they were brought in for because his offense doesn't need six fullbacks. So he's got a lot of position changes to do. Uh, I think we, we've talked about Brian and I have a lot. Uh, I really like Jalen Hamler, their retro freshman quarterback last year. I thought he had a lot of potential and somebody in a triple option that showed an ability to be more lethal than you'd give him credit for with his arm. They decided to make an open competition to bring in Hunter Rackett out of Fresno State, who I think is probably going to win the job. He seems to have more of the intangibles for what Bo Baldwin would be looking for. That being said, that he was brought in in April. So a guy who's in a pandemic could really benefit from voluntary workouts, being on campus, working with Bo, to happen to not be a part of it right now. So I think Hamler might even be the guy just based on having understanding of the playbook and the guys on the field. Uh, so I just think they're in a really tr- tricky spot where I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if pending season happens, Hamler starts three, four games and then racket gets his feet under him and he plays, you know, the last six or so. And they end up with a, just a weird record where they won a couple of Hamler, but then lost. And maybe they get a couple of the late with racket and, Kind of like we talked about Northern Colorado. I think they've got a lot going forward for them. I just think they have a huge hurdle to overcome in the next year or two. Um, but, I mean, he, Bo Baldwin knows he needs a quarterback. I mean, one of the first things he did when he took the job at Cal Poly was he offered C.J. Jordan, who's obviously one of the guys competing for Idaho's job, um, and a guy we're all really excited about. So, I mean, he knew he needed a guy, and he's a guy who's – Gotten a lot of good quarterbacks. So if you're an Idaho fan, that's a good thing to know that he really wanted our guy. So right. I'll take that away from it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think about Cat volleyball Baldwin. I, I, you know, I like that better than I'm going to compare them where we were at later. You know, Cal Poly, I think is their team, the Northern Colorado or um, Southern Utah, Idaho State, that you throw the Bill Baldwin factor in there. I think the position group that's really going to, maybe struggle the most with this is the O-line. Um, you go from run blocking and being in that certain set, same play 78% of the time in the game, having to pass that and probably being shotgun a lot where they didn't have to do that. It's going to be a learning curve for a lot of those O-linemen that, that might take more years to overcome, maybe even say a quarterback or a running back or a receiver. Yeah. Yeah, when I was uh, covering them for, you know, like I said, for the Montana Mint last year, one of the things that kind of blew me away uh, going through a lot of their box scores is, even though they're they didn't always give up, it, it, they have a handful of pretty close games on the season. They they were the worst offensive team scoring wise at twenty seven points a game, but they gave up thirty one points a game. So you know, four point margin that's not gigantic, but relative to the time of possession that they dominated because of what they run their defense was odd was almost preposterously inefficient with how quickly it gave up points relative to time possession compared to other teams, uh, which I think that that might be to me kind of the wild card. Cause I mean, the, the pedigree, I guess from Bo Baldwin, everyone knows. Uh, and the reason why listeners, if you don't in 10 years at Eastern Washington, he had exactly zero losing seasons, made the playoffs uh, six or seven times, 
and oh, sorry, six times, five times he at least made a quarter a quarterfinal, three times made a semifinal, one time won a national championship, then went to Cal. Should have gone to two national championships. That Youngstown State game, I mean, that's a miracle. We caught it behind Kendrick Cup's back. So absolutely, I mean, should have gone. Would have, but I'll give him. He should have been to two. But if you haven't been following Big Sky for a long time, that's why there's enthusiasm behind Bo Baldwin. He wasn't just pretty good; he was he was incredibly good at Eastern Washington. Even his down teams, he had a one. He he had two six and five seasons. Um, as a, sorry, three, six, and five seasons. So a down year for Bo Baldwin at Eastern was six and five. Uh, a lot of Idaho fans would say, well, how, how's that a down year? Uh, I will also put in, I agree with the points you guys have had. I think Cal Poly has a chance uh, to be one of the teams that, I don't know, like maybe they could bump a couple of spots up, but they have a murderer's row they're going to open the season with. Uh, at present, they're still, they're slated to start at Louisiana Monroe which on paper you just presume that's a loss. They lost their game at San Di- against San Diego, uh, who they, they beat San Diego by around 20-some points. So they're going to start at ULM, have two weeks off, and then at Montana versus Weber State at Montana State. So it is going to be – if that team is going to have you – know, if that team's going to have any sort of momentum early on, it's because things clicked real well. Uh, and with the shortened practice time that, I mean, they're going to be halfway through the season before they even see a winnable game. I'm going to make I, uh, one more. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Just I, I so I, when I talked to, to Bo a couple weeks ago, um, I was talking to him about Northwest and, you know, recruits up here and this and that. And he just kind of stopped me and said, Taylor, we're, we're not going to leave California. Um, and, and it's just a really interesting take to hear him because he's been a guy that's coached all around recruited all around and it just shows you the power of california recruiting in eastern everywhere he recruited a cal at uh, eastern washington he had to recruit california players i mean eastern washington has a lot of california players and uh, him being in california now where he can recruit that talent and keep them in state um look out because i think he's going to even win some recruiting battles down the road against Mountain West caliber schools. And if he can get that kind of talent in there with uh, his staff and his systems, um, that could be a pretty wild ride. Yeah, you get something yeah. going there. That's a beautiful campus. I mean, that's an easy wow. place that if you start winning, it would yeah. be hard to stop them. Yeah. Chris, you put the words in my mouth. I was going to say, if you've never been to San Luis Obispo, go to San Luis Obispo. Beautiful. Out of all the places we talked about so far, the rest of them, crappy town. The San Luis Obispo, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful campus. So, at, right so far, Cal Poly is definitely top of this list so far for me. <laughs> All right, who you got at uh, nine there, Brian? Now, this is one where if we were looking at my personal poll, this would be different. I'm going with Northern Arizona. And it's different because I would have put them lower. Uh, Northern Arizona <laughs> – Second year coach Chris Ball. Last season, uh, they win three. No, sorry, they win four games um, with the best quarterback in program history. Uh, there's a good chance the the guy who will replace him, his name's uh, Keandre Woodty. It appears that might be a guy. Uh, he's a transfer from Oklahoma State. Uh, only threw two passes last season, so it is no no idea uh, what kind of passer he is. Although. 
Uh, he does appear to be a little bit more of a runner than Case Kokis. Uh, Northern Arizona has probably the second best returning receivers in the league behind Montana. Uh, Brandon Porter is certainly one of the better one. Uh, is it uh, Chuck Menzi? Stacy Chuck Menzi is certainly up there. And oh man, there's a third one. Um, Hendrick, Hendrix right? Johnson. Yeah, Hendrix yeah. Johnson. Uh, those three are three are like I said, second best receiving uh, group. But the huge thing that Northern Arizona really struggled with last year, man, they gave up 43 points per game. Now they, their coach coaching staff and fans will probably tell you it's because they had a preposterous amount of injuries, but until we see something flirting with the defense, I don't know how to be hopeful about Northern Arizona Taylor. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And you know, it's always funny because it isn't an amazing teams that, you know, struggle. It's always injuries. And I'm like, what, tell me a football team throughout a season that doesn't have injuries. Right. I always hear that from guys and they're like, you know, we're just really beat up. And I'm like, and you don't think everyone else is come on guys. Like, you know, that's your job is to recruit guys that then can fill in for them. Now I get the significant injuries, but um, it's just a, a funny dynamic here in that. But yeah, with, with any of you, they're just, it's a very interesting team because they, they, our, I think Arizona is a high school football state that's um, kind of underappreciated for the talent that comes out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, you see big time guys going other places. So, um, you know, they've got a good pool of kids to recruit from. Um, and yeah, the, the QB that you lose was, you know, very, very productive. But as you said, I, I'm not sure the offense is going to be the question. I think it's going to be the defense, right? The offense, I think, is going to – whoever's there is going to be able to put up points. Uh, but in this conference, it's always been this way. I mean, especially with all the, the RPO uh, systems now, you, you've got to be able to, to, to stop opponent at least a few times to give yourself a chance to win. So uh, schematically, I think they're going to have to improve on some things and uh, personnel, they're going to have to have some guys step up uh, in, in some key areas. But uh, – it could be a team. You know, you mentioned this, I think, Chris, early on, like every year. Remember, UC Davis a couple years ago came out of nowhere, surprised everyone. And then Sac State last year, there's always that team. And, um, I, I, you know, NAU could be that team this year that just kind of all of a yeah. sudden we're talking towards the end of the year. And and it's like, man, if they went out, you know, they're, they got a, a share of the, the title or an outright um, title. I, it could be. Who knows? Uh, but if there was a team this year, I think that that could be them. Yeah, I would echo that. I I think uh, we I think because that narrative is being set up. Well, they lost their program's all time leading uh, passer in, in Case Cookus. But as you mentioned, talk about we've talked about brushed on it with Cal Poly. Talk about a school that if it gets going, it'll be hard to stop. NAU's got like thirty five thousand kids. Flagstaff is a fun place to play. You, that place could be a really unique home environment with it being at such high elevation. It's in a dome. Uh, Chris Ball's seen it. I mean, he's a Mike, staff, or a Mike Price staffer, so, I mean, he's kind of seen how to win. I don't want to compare them too much to, like, a Washington State. But, once again, in a state that we – I think we'd all agree Washington's kind of an underrated um, mm-hmm. recruiting area. I mean, you look at how many number one I mean, between Jacob Eason. Uh, you got Sam Heward now. You've got – Jake Walker back in the day. Yeah, Case and Williams. There's been tons of dudes that are just total. And I think Arizona is a lot like that. So I think what they have going for them is Arizona and Arizona State have not been necessarily very great in the last couple of years, where 
you look at an Eastern, they've had to deal with UW and Wazoo being at probably the best those two programs have ever been at the same time. Um, so it, it's been tougher there where NAU hasn't had that. But I think, I mean, we touched on it. The problem is that defense. If they can get it remotely looking like they can keep at teams to 39 points a game, they might finish 500. But uh, we saw with Idaho. I, I don't think any Idaho fan is going to say we had an awesome offense last year. We had a very uh, mediocre, slow-paced offense, and we were able to have all-time performances um, and put up on un- un- video game-like numbers against them. So uh, it's uh, imagine what can happen like when you get really powerful Eastern Washington teams and – uh, maybe Montana State this year who looks to be improved on offense. Montana's and, but I think we we nailed it. They I actually think they have. If you look at the whole core, I think they probably have the best total all wide receivers coming back. Now they don't have a Samuel Akam and a Samori Toure, but all in all, I think they've got five dudes that are all really great. Where I think Montana right now just kind of has two, uh, but they just have two really good guys. Yeah, so I I, <laughs> I think they're gonna be really. I think NAU definitely has the pieces to be that team. And once again, if Chris Ball can get them rolling, I think that's a school that's poised to become a big power, kind of like what we're seeing with like a UC Davis right now. Yeah, I mean, their defense has to slow someone down. I mean, we're talking about an Idaho offense that was averaging about 30 points a game, hung 60 on them, um, final game of the year. So until, until, until they can do that, you know, they can struggle. It doesn't matter how good their receivers are. Um, and, and continuing on with my ranking of favorite places, Never been to Flagstaff, but you're a specialist. The walk-up Sky Dome is the best place to play in college football. Let me tell you, 7,000 feet elevation in a dome, no wind. That's perfect. That's what you want. Those balls fly. So that's uh, keep that in mind if you ever are in the Sky Dome. So I mentioned I had gone to Colorado my first years out of high school, and we were at 5,500 feet. And every game my freshman year, I would watch in warm-ups the punters and kickers were having career, you know, days kicking. And in the game, they'd have career games, but the quarterbacks were overthrowing everything because everything they throw, the ball just keep carrying. So you're exactly right. I didn't even think not only the elevation, but you're indoors. So no win. I mean, if you're a kicker, man, you want to have your pro uh, pro timing day there. You want to have every practice game there. You want. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we talk about it. And they use punters every year. Yeah. Yeah. Kate Coffey, I mean, dealt with injuries last year, Idaho's kicker and punter, but we are talking, he was poised to have a career year just based on one, you kick five games a year of last year because of the 12-game weird FCS, how it fell on the leap year deal, uh, six games in the Kibbe Dome, then three of your away games are at Greeley, Colorado in, you know, high elevation, Wyoming, high elevation, and then the Dome in, at NAU. We're like, you have – nine games where you couldn't ask for better kicking conditions. Um, Fortunately, he dealt with injury, but man, coffee could have had record setting numbers last year. That was set up for a specialist season, but. So does that make it more impressive of Rico's numbers playing in the Sun Belt at at nearly sea level every game? Yes. Yes. There you go. (laughs) Okay. It's on to me now, Chris. Mm -hmm. All right. You're picking number eight. Yeah. Number eight. This one I kind of, I struggled with and I, and I almost pulled one out of my out of the bag, and I really, I'm I'm, I'm fading Sac State and UC Davis this year um, as a team. I looked at their schedules, and I'm like, man, these guys, their schedule set up for success. I think there's like a core group of four teams that kind of fit in the middle of the road. That team, I think, that just fits outside of there is you know, I'm gonna say Portland State. Uh, 
I've seen Portland State live a couple times. You know, Idaho maybe played our worst game was dropping to FCS last year at Portland State. Uh, you know, I was there live. We were terrible. We weren't we weren't good. Um, but Portland State wasn't that good either. They just ended up a couple more plays there at the end of the game, and that was a one for them. I'm like, man, this Portland State team to me could still be I, I think they could be lower. I mean I mean I I could see Cal Poly, ISU, Northern Colorado all finish ahead of Portland State. Um, so I was kind of surprised to see where they were at in the in the coaches' poll and in the in the media poll. Um, tough place to recruit. That that facility is not great. Um, you know, I don't know if their core, their quarterback situation. That guy was all right last year. Is he returning? Yeah, he's they one were of two returning yeah. starters. Yeah, yeah, he's returning he, he, and so, he's expected to start. Yeah, so you know, he showed me some good stuff, but. Still, not nothing to you know, carry a team to a top half big sky finish, in my opinion. So, yeah, the Vikings today. Yeah, you know, their Portland State is the team that, in my personal poll, I faded. And part of it is because one, I think it might, it might have just been a little contrarian thing. I've heard a decent amount of media sources that really like Portland State. I tend to think they just think that Bruce Barnum's funny. Because uh, I've heard about Portland State being good for it feels like three years, and or how yeah. they've been getting good, great talent come in the last three years, and look, they lost an NFL caliber tight end, they lose one of the league's better running backs, and I, I just don't, I don't have the same faith. Uh, Davis Alexander is certainly he's a solid quarterback, and this year maybe uniquely, just solid is going to feel like spectacular because we might have eleven new starting quarterbacks and almost no prep time whatsoever. So like just uniquely. This year might be Portland State's year where everything aligns to finish above 500. But I, I, I just find Portland State to be a team that is, is a little bit hard to take seriously. I mean, but if you look at the way they finished last season, I mean, first off, they were one of the teams that was killed by Idaho State uh, early on. But that was before Idaho State kind of fell apart. Uh, and their last, you look at their last four games, two-point loss at Northern Arizona, a uh, 15-point loss at Montana, but Montana's real good. 17-point uh, loss at UC Davis. UC Davis, though, they had a lot of hype. They finished tied with Idaho in the Big Sky. Uh, and then lost, a uh, close loss at Eastern Washington. To me, although the roster should be different because there's always new recruits, I mean, those scores tell me a lot. This is a team that maybe they have the talent to be a little more competitive against the better teams than you'd guess. Uh, but they also don't have all the pieces together where they're still, you know, they, they easily, they're the kind of team that can also drop to, to the worst team in the conference that certainly has less talent than them. Taylor. Yeah. The uh, Davis Alexander, I've, I've worked with him all the way back in high school and um, really talented kid, you know, not a big kid, Um very athletic though. And he's that ideal dual threat guy and really strong arm. And I think the last couple of years, you know, he took some lumps and some learning curves, but I think it, it's helped him, his understanding of the game, slowing things down, making quicker, better reads. And, you know, he's going to need to be the Patrick Mahomes of the, the big sky FCS level at that position and make plays and throws like that just to keep them in games. Um, and, Portland State is just an interesting dynamic to me because 
as far as recruiting, you know, there's talent right there in Portland and the surrounding areas. You can come up to Seattle, Cali kids, it's, it's, it's a major city. So, you know, you can do good in recruiting and they do, but it just seems like there's kids that they get that have a lot of promise and just kind of never amount to anything. And I'm not sure where the disconnect is happening, but um, they definitely have players. They have some pieces here and there. Uh, and I do like Barnum. I think he's a really good coach. I mean, he's the kind of guy, if you could take one of the coaches in the big sky and go have a beer with, you know, if he's not your top, he's definitely in your top, you know, three. Um, just, and I, and, and I actually have gone and, and done that with him and he's as entertaining as you would imagine. Um, but I just, I think for Portland to say, I, I, I agree with you. I think if it was, if you said, hey, they're kind of in the middle of the pack, but they could vault up to the top or fade down to the bottom. Which one do you think it would be if you had to choose one? I'd, I'd go with you probably fade down to the bottom. I just, I, I think this is the team that um, ha- has underachieved a little bit with some of the, the talent they've had. And I, I, I don't expect this year to be much different unless Davis can put on that superhero cape and uh, take them to the promised land. Yeah. I think uh, the U Portland state, I mean, Brian and I talked about a bunch during the big sky kickoff. I think they get so much love every year. I know Hero Sports is super high on them this year. They have them just outside of the top 25 because they do have one of the top recruiting classes every year. You talk about Southwest Washington, Northwest Oregon. like they are, They're they becoming really big recruiting hotbeds. And, Taylor, you touched on it. You're, not, you're three hours to Seattle. You're not far from Sacramento, um, you know, the San Francisco. Even if you get an L.A. kid, it's a city, uh, which is an appealing concept. And – I mean, everything's there. Bruce Barnum, great coach, somebody that everybody seems to want to play for, but they just haven't put it together. But I feel like they're always, because of that, that team that people are feel deadly because, as Taylor brought up, they get so many great recruits. It just seems like nothing ever happens mm-hmm. with them. So I think every year you're like, well, there they are. They got a top three FCS recruiting class. And, you know, they got uh, they beat some FBS teams on 247's recruiting rankings. And, wow, they – look really, really good on paper, but they just, it doesn't seem to pan out, but they seem to have all the talent there. So at any year, like they did in what, 2016, I think when they beat Washington state and they went on to win the big sky or be co-champs of it. Like, I think it's there every year, the potential for them to do it. And it's why it's a team you never really take lightly, but it, they just don't put it together. And until they do, it's, it's hard to move them anywhere higher than middle of the pack. So I, I'm pretty confident having them there. Um, this Picking my seven. Stadium, stadium oh. away, real quick. This team's a stadium yeah. away from I think, exploding onto the scene, though, on the SDS level. I know they've talked about building a stadium downtown near campus, but they don't have sixty million dollars to to spend on that. So, yeah. Providence Park would be sweet. If they could it would be. There, but. And, they used to. And Chris, just Chris, before you jump to your next team, the, this is the thing that I knew I'd seen this last year. Just forgot to about Portland State. This is why I I'm fading them. Portland State last year, so they play only FBS and D2 games outside of conference. So I'm only talking about their three and five conference record. They they start out the gate three and one after getting killed by Idaho State. They beat the murderers row of Southern Utah, Idaho in our worst game of the season, and Northern Colorado. That that's it. Those are their wins. Those are their D1 wins. If when when they played any team outside of that stretch, and that includes – they had a good shot at some of the bad teams last year. They had a shot at Idaho State and lost. They had a shot at 
Northern Arizona lost. UC Davis is talented. UC Davis was three and five last year. Portland State had a shot at them and lost too. So this isn't last season that they had some incredibly tough schedule. In fact, they had a quite favorable schedule and did very little with it. Yeah, fair. But we'll we'll see. I mean, like I said, you can't discount this year having a, a returning starter. So that will be huge. Um, so this will probably stir up a little bit of controversy. I think the obvious pick here might be a team that the three of us are the most familiar with. But per my media poll, uh, I actually had this team here. So I'm going with Sac State. Uh, that might turn some heads. We got to credit. But I'm just it, – it's not necessarily – we see it. I mean, I just feel like this time last year, UC Davis and Eastern Washington were considered hands down. Those two are going to be the two teams that you look at competing for the conference title. And it ended up being Weber State, Montana State, and Montana. And, you know, those three teams weren't considered to be part of it. And that's where I'm just, I'm going to challenge the narrative that Sac State is supposed to be really good this year. I know they have fallen since Kevin Thompson, but, um, I just feel like until Troy Taylor can prove to me that he can bring another guy in and Sac State is going to be a regular competitor, I just think it's hard not to view them like a UC Davis where the difference is last year I picked UC Davis to have the toughest Big Sky schedule, um, which is part of the – and they played North Dakota State. They had, they had an incredibly tough schedule. Obviously, it led to some losses. But I think you look at, at Sac State – the difference is their schedule is extremely favorable this year. But the same thing last year, we were saying the reason we all believed in Eastern Washington was they had the easiest schedule set up. Um, their only tough game was traveling to Missoula. Uh, and then they ended up finishing fifth or sixth in the conference. So I just, until I see it for a second year, I'm just, I guess I'm not going to give Sac State the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I'll put them at seven here and they'll probably prove me wrong, but I just for Troy Taylor first year or first time head coach did it with a lot of guys that he inherited. I just want to see what he does with a whole year and a pandemic and a quarterback change. So I'll I'll put him at seven. Well, and yeah, Sac I mean, State I, has Sorry, okay. Sac State has a quarterback situation that to me is interesting. Jake Dunning played a little bit last year when Kevin Thompson went out. Um, he was I, I'll say he Jake Dunning was okay. He was not. He was certainly not the worst quarterback south field in the Big Sky, but he was certainly not uh, the kind of guy who you saw who you saw and thought, okay, that's an all Big Sky talent in the future. Um, but he he's going to be back. He's got experience. They also have a former both Boise State and Nevada quarterback, Caden Bennett, who he's even though he he was out of the two schools, he's going to have four years of eligibility. He's a fulsome high kid, so I believe he has experience with some of the coaching staff at Sac State. Uh, which, you know, we'll see what that's worth. We're not sure. Uh, Sac State also has, you know, all-league all level uh, running back in Elijah Dotson, who, sure. you know, he went as a freshman. Uh, freshman, he was, you know, he was running back last year. Uh, most of his production actually came receiving. Uh, he's one of the more versatile players in the league. Uh, but the Hornets also lost, you know, one of the best uh, defensive linemen in the league last year, George Obina. Uh, we'll see, you know, really their defense was as key to them to their run early in the year um, as their offense, particularly if you saw um, how how much they hurt Montana with being able to find penetration, you know, just just effortlessly. But I, you know, I 
I don't believe Sac State has a schedule that's going to make it, it hasn't finished this low. But you're right, Chris. They they have a lot of questions. They have one of the better appears to be better, one of the better coaches, but they they do have a lot of things they got to answer for us if before we pencil them back in as a you know playoff team. Not you, Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just just such an interesting year with just storylines, how everything's played out, right, with, um, you know, the pandemic, but then coaching changes and interesting, you know, to Bo Baldwin coming into uh, Cal Poly and how much that system's going to change. And then you have uh, Sac State, who feels so good coming off of last year. They came out of nowhere. They were not going to sneak up on people this year. Now you go to the front runners. Kevin Thompson's on magazine covers as the guy. The team's feeling great. They're talking, you know, national championship. And then all of a sudden they wake up the next morning and he's gone. And now you're looking at it saying – you know, we don't have spring ball now to and, and summer and all of this time to go get reps to these guys who now have to emerge as the guys. So how do they handle it with their mindset, right? Of of they were thinking, okay, I got one more year to, you know, back them up and learn the system and just get comfortable with things and then I can go. And now all of a sudden you're thrust into the spotlight. It's kind of like being a backup and now you're the starter. Um, and it's just, it, it's a different mindset. So we'll see if um, those guys can handle it. That'll that, That's obviously going to be the main storyline for that program. But you don't go have the success they did last year just because of a quarterback. I mean, that's a big part of it, but they were successful because they have a very good coach and coaching staff. And they have great schemes and they put those kids in position to, to have success. And then you got to get the job done up front and, and on the perimeter and defensively. So uh, this is a very, very talented team, a well-coached team, very disciplined. If you turn on the film, they were just really disciplined. And then they had a bunch of athletes all over the field. So, um, you know, where other programs, they lose a quarterback and he was like basically the only part of that team Um Sac State's a lot different to me. They got a lot of weapons and pieces, and you need a quarterback to come in and uh, be able to, to to dish the ball out, get you in the right checks. But, uh, yeah, I think this is a, a talented team. And it might have been the best thing that happened for them because they were they had a huge target on their back, and all of a sudden Kevin leaves, and now everyone's just, like, disregarding them. So I think they can use that as a chip on their shoulder and now almost in a weird way coming off a conference championship and, and a good playoff run – fly under the radar going into this year again, which I think for the coaching staff is probably a relief. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at Sac State. They're, they're, for me, they're this year's UC Davis, where so my, our first year in the league was 2018. UC Davis was the team that came out of nowhere and surprised everyone. And then we saw a little regression um, the year after. That's kind of, you know, history tend to repeat itself a lot. And so I'm looking at Sac State in that, that same scenario. Um, and, you know, UC Davis has a great coaching staff, too, and, you know, and, and Coach Hawkins and has the credentials, and they coach them up well. So, um, use, you know, Sac State. I haven't played Sac State since, uh, let's see, that was 2017. Uh, that was when we, we, were, we weren't even the sun, big sky at the time. We were from the Sun Belt. Um, you know, I don't, don't really know them all that well. It's one of the only teams I still haven't played. I had never played uh, in the big sky. But um, I, we could see some regression, maybe seven. When I see, I see like four through seven, I think all these could just be like completely interchangeable. It could be like a one game difference. So seeing them at seven could, could seem harsher than reality. It might be the difference between being five and three, six and two, or four and four, how many ever games we end up playing, I guess, in conference play. But 
yeah, I think it's it could be anywhere between like four and seven for Sac State. Which yeah. Taylor, that right. you've got the big question now at six. Or are you gonna go with the are you gonna go the direction that might appease some of our fans and not talk about our favorite team? Or <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna play it straight? I'm I you know what? the best person for this. I'm I'm going UC Davis at, at six. Oh I'm putting UC Davis wow. there. I, I you know to, to give a plug to, to Idaho, I you know that defense was so lights out and the linebackers, the ends, and, and I got a chance. To, well, we'll talk about Idaho in a little bit. Just wanted to gas them up for your, your listeners. Cause I, I hear you guys revolve everything back to Idaho slick. I, you guys are so good at that from the start of this, it was this, this, and then an Idaho thing and then go awesome. Um, Always throwing jabs. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, I think you know, UC Davis, um, you know, when we've talked about them, I got a chance to do a game down there last year. I mean, what a cool um, stadium too! that little bowl and, and kind of the grass. I mean, that was one of my my favorite venues we went to. I, I, I really, really liked it. And, um, you know, going into last year, they were so hyped up. And I think that probably got to them a little bit. And maybe they were reading their press clippings. But this conference gets so good, too, every year. So it could be a combination of things. But uh, Dan Hawkins is um, it's just a brilliant football mind. And he's just a guy when you talk to, I mean, it's like going to a football museum every time you talk to him because he's just, you know, he's coached over in Europe and he's, you know, here and then he's coached these players in this system and that system. And if you've met his son, Cody, who's on the staff, I mean, he's like a little minion of Dan. I mean, he's the same way, talking, selling, all of that. And, um, you know, Dan went and, uh, put together a pretty veteran experienced coaching staff. So um, I, I like this team. I, I, you know, they showed a couple years ago, they could make a run at this thing and they've got a lot of talent. Um, and I, I think uh, last year, I, maybe they were reading their press clippings a little bit too much. Um, you know, we talk about a target on their back. I think a lot of people wanted to go play them and kind of put them in their place, but uh, another really talented team and, um, you know, we'll see the conference this year. Uh, there's always the heavy hitters at the top, you know, the usual suspects. But um, I just think there's a lot more parity, especially as you mentioned, uh, Alex, kind of that four through seven, right? With those teams that, um, you know, it'd be easy to fall or or rise in that group. But somebody out of that group is going to push for the top spot in the entire conference. It happens every year. And, uh, you know, Davis did it a couple years ago and uh, this could be another year. Who knows? Um, such a strange year. You know, 2020 is a pretty crazy year. So uh, stranger things have happened. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I agree. I, you know, when we played UC Davis in 2018, they had, you know, Keelan Doss, for sure. When it comes from Keelan Doss, probably one of the better receivers to come through the league in a while. Um, but, you know, UC Davis, they showed last year, this could be a bounce back year for them. Um, you know, they have a lot of talent, well coached. Taylor, I love your story about this, you know, the stadium. That's a beautiful place to go play. Um, you know, kind of out there in the middle of nowhere in the fields in California, Davis is. But the stadium itself, awesome stadium. It's hot as hell there. But yeah. quick, sto- quick story, we, 2018, we're there. Um, we have a punt called. We're out there for punt. We're going on to Kevin Duke, false starts. So we have to go back to five yards. We're in our own end zone. I turn around to Son, tell him what punt protection we're running because I knew our special team. 
and we give a blocked punt. So the only punt that I get to call a whole life, we give a blocked punt. You see Davis and that ends up for a, for a, for a six. So um, have some memories of UC Davis, but um, yeah, good, good team. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of promise there. So. Yeah. I, I think UC Davis, I mean, we've touched on they, We've talked about a lot of sleeping giants in the big sky. Another one, most because of Dan Hawkins for years, every time, there was I know had a coaching vacancy, whether it was after Aki, after you know, with, with the guest or stint. Um it, it, he comes up. He he's come up after Erickson pretty much ever since he built BSU to what it was before Chris Peterson really, you know, really made it a staple. But uh he's always come up. And then, you know, Colorado didn't work out how it was, but he still had Pac twelve experience. And then Taylor Touchdown, he's coached so many different places, but he never really got that shot again to be a head coach at the college level like he just wasn't getting the calls takes over his alma mater at uc davis got him rolling and i think we touched on it, it uc davis had everything set up last year and maybe it was press clippings but they played seven playoff teams and an f uh, pac-12 yeah. school yeah. last year yeah. that's a tough freaking schedule so yeah. you know it, it you look at that and you go, wow, that's they probably ended up having, and I said it going into the year, they had the toughest schedule going. And that's before I knew Sac State was going to be, you know, the number four team in the country and, and win the big sky. Like that was before we knew about that. And uh, we thought Eastern was going to be better and uh, they dodged them, but it's like it turns out that dodging Eastern might not have been good uh, last year. And it's just, I, it, they had such a tough go of it last year. I know they have to replace Jake Meyer. Um, but I, I just think Dan Hawkins is the guy, unlike where I said, Troy Taylor needs to prove it to me. I just think that Dan Hawkins resume speaks for itself. And I believe that he will get the ship right. And that last year was just really tough scheduling. And I have more faith in UC Davis to be more like they were in 2018 than I do in Sac State to be like they were in 2019. Yep. Yeah. Very well put. UC Davis also, they have one of the best returning running backs in the league, Yulonzo Gilliam. He's one of the yeah. true dual threats, had 57 receptions uh, at, while also averaging more than 100 rushing yards per game. Chris, I'm glad you referenced the schedule because I was waiting to go over that. You know, when on September 21st last year, UC Davis looked like world beaters while hanging in with North Dakota State for almost the entire game. Um, but really the bottom fell out for them. Um, after that, where they, you know, they were then killed by Montana and then lost at North Dakota. And at that point, if they don't win against th- two of the three against the um, top, the re- remaining top 10 teams they played in the three the last four weeks, they're going to finish with sub 500, 500. That's exactly where they, they finished. Um, I, they do have a schedule profile that's quite similar to Sac State this year. And this Idaho fans just want you to go over how some teams do get non-conference stuff. That's a little bit different though. These games may not ultimately, ultimately be played. UC Davis has a sweet setup of, they do have two FBS games, but they're against mountain West teams. One of which is San Jose state, which is certainly winnable. Uh, when you're talking about theoretically top tier FCS talent relative to being able to, to recruit to a place like UC Davis against San Jose state, they also had um, Pioneer League member San Diego sandwiched in there as an extra home game. Uh, but that's the kind of scheduling you'd actually love to have in a place like Idaho where you get the money from the buy games, but they're, they're, they're much more winnable than what we've had. Uh, but you know, UC Davis there, I'm okay with them at six. Um, 
I, you know, we, my seven, six, five would be a little bit different, but they're like a team we might talk about in a second. Uh, and they're like Sac state below. They certainly have talent. Uh, there are reasons to look at last year's team and say like, well, if a couple things would have been different, they're great. But they, they also, they're another team. They lost an elite quarterback, uh, Jake Meyer, who's playing in Canada this year. Uh, what they do there is a good question. If you look at their quarterback roster, not really anyone has experience. In fact, they only have one, they have one junior and then uh, most of the guys have a freshman. So it's a real, that that is going to be another, again, because this year, a uniquely weird thing where, in, in the same sense that Portland State might have been lucky with their setup, uh, I don't know, maybe UC Davis has just a uniquely rough quarterback situation. Well, I think the quarterback situation for them might be really interesting because once I remember Jake Meyer is that that offense ran at 100 miles an hour nonstop, just go, 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 go. And it takes a special type of quarterback to continue to run an offense that fast. Um, that, that kills defenses, especially if you can do it well. And so if they can't replace that, um, if you allow defenses some more against maybe a new quarterback, they can maybe see some trouble there on that side of the ball. All right, Alex, I think we've been shocking the world since about NAU at nine, where people probably started to expect it. Uh, who do you have at five? Well, in the Brian's turn. Oh, sorry, you're correct, Brian. Yeah, I know who Brian's five. going with. I know who Brian's going with. So. Oh, yeah. Now, Chris, you might want to tell me how – what kind of a deep dive we want to do here? Because we, we do yeah. talk about these guys a little uh, bit. We can but, leave a lot of it for Taylor since we've got our Idaho preview in two weeks, okay. hopefully. Um, so I'm just so, – then I'll give it a cursory take. Idaho's my team at number five. Uh, ta- you, you know what? I'm not going to give a cursory take. I'm not going to take that much of a cursory take other than to say we have elite defense defensive talent coming back at a linebacker and the defensive you know in the front seven positions um mm-hmm. i think you know we did a little bit of a breakdown last year with colton offensively um if you subtract the nau game idaho had the worst scoring defense and big the worst scoring offense sorry subtract nau we had the worst scoring offense uh, in the big sky and i just don't see our offense i, I think our offense is going to take a step forward taylor what, I, what what about you I'd like to see him take a step forward. I mean, I, I with that defense, I mean, you had guys that I, I'm standing up in the booth watching going, those are NFL-looking players right there, the way they're, you, you know, some of the, the, the size and speed and range. And and then I know there were, were some injuries uh, in the latter part of the season. But, um, you know, you've got a talented young quarterback coming in. I mean, you mentioned CJ. I've, I, I had worked with CJ years ago when he was a, a freshman down in Portland. And, you know, at that time he was getting offers from Louisville and, you know, all, all those different spots. And, um, you know, very, very talented kid. And CJ is going to be one of those kids that he's going to put in the work. You don't have to worry about him. He's going to be looking at film before you ask him to. He's going to be on the field throwing. He's just a football junkie, right? His dad's that way. Um, that's That's how he is. He's a coach's son. Um, so that all eyes are going to be on the QB, uh, competition because like any program, that's a big part of it. And we keep, you know, we're like a broken record with all these quarterbacks. It's such a weird year. You're right, Brian, like in the, in the big sky, usually there's always like four or five, six really good quarterbacks coming back a few elite ones. So this is a strange year, but I will say this experience can't be taught. I mean, every, every starting quarterback got his first start. Every, you know, NFL quarterback got his first college playing time and NFL playing time. So um, it, it's more, can a guy come in and is the environment and, and the situation uh, too big for him? 
you know, you saw Trevor Lawrence come in as a freshman and just, you know, go do his thing uh, over at Clemson. And um, I don't think you want to rely on a freshman coming in if, if you're a college program, just as a coach, knowing, uh, you know, everything you're going to go through. But at the end of the day, that it's changed. Like the quarterback position has changed because you have dual threat guys that are so good athletically, even if they're wrong in a read, they can go make up for it by extending the play with their feet. So uh, it's just, it's changed now. Uh, Shotgun guys are away from center. So size doesn't matter as much anymore, getting depth from the line. So I just think quarterback is going to be a big thing. The defense is going to be what uh, carries this team. I don't think the offense even has to be in the, you know, top three or four in the conference uh, points statistically, but they need to be in that upper half. Uh, and if they do with that defense, uh, this could be a team that makes a, a conference title run. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, real real quick, you know, I'll, I'll keep it short, not too in-depth. Talk to guys, Beaudry, the transfer from UConn, um, sound looks the part from what I've heard, makes has good throws from their just seven-on-seven stuff that they're doing. Um, so, and you talk about size, I think we might see an Idaho offense maybe returns more to what it looked like to Matt Linehan. Um, era and younger center, more pro style, that kind of thing. Um, but you know, defense and Christian Ellis at linebacker, Trey Walker linebacker, mm-hmm. Charles Acaro. Yeah, Christian, I saw Christian when I was back in Moscow and he's, he's in 235-40 right now. And he, he's, mm-hmm. you know, I, Caden bulked up for the NFL. Christian's getting there. Um, so yeah, defense, if the offense can just operate at better efficiency and better, you know, yep. less turnovers, more efficiency in the red zone, um, more points. Defense keeps what it was doing last year. This is going to be a tough team for teams in the sky. I think yep. Idaho, uh, the way I see it is, remember the Ravens, the Super Bowl year? I mean, with Trent Dilfer, it was like the offense. It was like, just yes. don't and let the defense run it. I feel like that's like the way I is going to have to approach this season. It's like the Bears with Rex Grossman a few years ago. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I'll echo it. I mean, I've talked to, you know, Sam Herter and Brian McLaughlin a little bit from Hero Sports about this, but I, I've just posted, I'm like, Syria, you know, kind of like an off-the-record thing. I was like, does Idaho have the best front seven or at least linebacking core in the FCS? Um, Sam basically said it'd be hard to argue that they're not. I mean, the North Dakota State, and there are some programs with some really good linebackers, but I think when you pair R3 with the linemen as well, I mean, we're not talking about – the other guys we have like Jonah Kim and Noah Ellis and Coyote refi, like we've got studs on the D line too. And I think that's, what's so unique about this. And due to, I mean, uh, Taylor already touched on this too. In the Eastern Washington game last year, we heard about how Eastern was so beat up on defense. And then I think we looked after or something and Ido ended up having more starters injured in that game or something along those lines. I don't remember. That was a while ago, but Comparably, they were both pretty injured. So we're talking about like how injuries don't matter. But then because of that, and why I also have Eastern pretty good at later, is you got a lot of the young people in to get experience. There you go. Uh, and now you've got that depth that before where you're worried about like, well, if these guys get hurt, we don't have depth. Well, they got hurt, and now you built that depth because as we talked about with the quarterbacks, now you have guys that have had their starts, and they've played a couple games. So if Noah Ellis gets hurt again this year, we have Jonah Kim who could come in and prove that he can play. And uh, you, you at the linebacking core, I mean, Trey Walker and those guys are good, but you have a ton of young dudes behind them that look like they're just ready to step right back in too. Um, and solely Shannon and et cetera. So 
I, I really yeah. trust our defense. And like we said, our offense can't get any worse than it was last year. So <laughs> as long as it improves, we can expect this team to improve because the defense is only going to get better. And, and we got a star from Montana's defense to help sure up some of that secondary. So that's where our real weak point, I think, is. But I, I have faith in us. I, I don't know if I, I have us lower than five, but um, – like I said, it's a yeah. big sky, and I think we have the pieces. I I think I think outside of quarterback for Idaho, the biggest question mark is going to be the offensive line. And I hit on the offensive line earlier for other school. You know, we you lose guys, you lose Noah Johnson, All American offensive lineman in his own right. Um, you lose Connor Verba, who graduated. You lose um, Edwin, who played a lot. Um, God, why can't Sean Toulet? A lot. I mean, there's we're talking three or four big time contributors. You get guys like Matt Popitza back. You know, you get Logan Floyd back. You get Brian Robson, Robinson back. Noah Gunn. But, Noah Gunn. I mean, but still, we're not – you lose guys like Noah Johnson. That guy started as a freshman on the sure. 16 Potato Bowl team. How do you replace someone like that? Um, so, outside of quarterback, which everyone's going to talk about, I think what's going to make or break Idaho um, is going to be how the O-line protects that quarterback and open up the holes for running backs. Yeah. What – uh, uh, what's really interesting to me is is so defensively you mentioned the secondary there's some question marks well having a great front seven helps that so much because yeah. they're putting pressure on the quarterback stopping the run making them one-dimensional so on the flip side for offense you would say hey if we don't have a returning veteran quarterback if we have a veteran big time line it's going to take pressure off them or vice versa right hey if we don't have a great or veteran line if we do at quarterback, he can make up for it, making quick reads and decisions. But when you have both of those that are kind of, you know, question marks, that's what's concerning offensively. Whereas the defense, one unit can help the other out. And I think that is going to be the key for Idaho. If one of those two units on offense, either the front or the QB can establish themselves and, and, and be good with what the defense is going to be able to do, Idaho could make a run at this thing. Yeah, I think you nailed it. There's a reason why NFL defensive linemen, J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, et cetera, guys who get for the quarterback get paid so much money. It fixes a lot in the secondary. They make more than the Richard yep. Shermans and Earl Thomases do of the world. It's just getting to the quarterback is <laughs> yeah. big. So yep. Um, I believe I get a pick number four, right? Are we back to me? No, I'm on. You, oh. you, keep, you skip Brian, yeah. and then you're trying to skip yeah. me. I'm, I'm just getting too excited, man. I'm getting too excited. I know. I know. Um. Uh, this one, I'm actually I'm going to agree with the coaches in the media. I'm just going to go with uh, Eastern at, at four. Um, if they have a season, I'll, I'll make that loud and clear. Um, you know, uh, you have maybe the most dangerous offensive player in the league, Eric Berrier, coming back. That, that makes him a you know big second contender right away. How can you not be a big second contender with a brand new red turf as well? It was just put in. I think he's bright, hot. Um, you know. The coach there, awesome guy. I've heard him speak before. I've met him. Um, good environment for the players. And I'm still friends with Ty Graham, who's, who has transferred back there. And I talk to Ty occasionally. He, you know, loves the environment, loves the culture. They have some guys who were hurt a little bit last year. They kind of stumbled. I think Eastern I think Eastern goes in, like, ways where they get, like, too big for their britches. They got knocked back down to reality. And they go back up again. And I think they kind of got punched in the mouth a little bit early last year. And it kind of took them a long time to recover from that. Um, so if this Eastern team comes out hungry and we watch out big sky, it's going to be tough to stop that. The, the red scare, the big red train up in a genie. 
Brian? Yeah, Eastern Washington won. Yeah, Eric Berrier, 31 touchdowns, four interceptions last year. Walter Payton Award, like top five finisher. Yeah, he's he's so, he's so head and shoulders above everyone else at the position in this conference right now. It actually makes like even talking about offensive player of the year a boring discussion. There, there's just no one else to talk about. Um, you know, Eastern last year, you know, the, the, the thing that I struggle with with trying to place Eastern is, you know, they certainly have some great players coming back. You know, we talked about Barry A. They've got Andrew Boston, wide receiver. Well, I mean, they have multiple pretty good receivers coming back. I wouldn't put them at like Montana, Northern Arizona level, but they certainly have some of the better skill position players. Uh, also, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Chris Ojo um, transferred from, from University of Washington. He, he transferred from University of Washington, I believe. Missed just about all of last season. Um, so that's a, that's a one big name they have coming back on the defensive side of the ball. And last season, I mean, the, the story about them can feel kind of down because they were a projected top five team and they didn't make the, they just missed the playoffs. They're six and two in league. Um, five of their six wins did come against the five, against four of them against teams tied for last place and one of them against Portland State team tied for second to last place. Uh, so they certainly, uh, Padded a lot of Barrier stats against the bottom of the conference last year. Um, you know, this season, I guess the the reason I struggle sometimes talking about Eastern is the three teams we have not yet talked about have they certainly they all have at least one part of the game we know they're elite and they can be elite against some of the best teams. You know, like Montana State absolutely destroyed University of Montana. You know, on both sides of the line last year in the in the Brawl of the Wild, Weber State. I'm going to talk about them against Montana last year in the playoffs. They pick off Dalton Snead five times. You know, again, that's that's elite against an elite team. We didn't see Eastern do that last year when they were challenged by some of the better teams in the league. Uh, they also lose, you know, thousand yard rusher. So, I mean, to me, they they definitely have talent, but it feels like this feels like a if they get to play like a really important year for Eastern in a way that you know that they, they kind of need to right their ship. Yeah, I mean, I actually had Eastern um, in my three spot. So I had them a little higher just because, once again, I think the Big Sky, it never seems to pan out how we think it is. And I do think last year they were pretty beat up. I think they're really pissed off about how it go, how it went. And then you look at how we talked about it. They got punched in the face really early with the UW beating their butt, really not playing as good against Lindwood as they probably should have. Then they lose to Jacksonville State down in Alabama, and then they lose to Idaho. And you're just like, the whole world had caved in on them. They were all talking about seasons over. Um, they end up being able to right the ship there at the end, winning five of their last six, with the only loss being in a rivalry game in Missoula uh, to Montana, who ended up making the semifinals last year. So by no means a bad loss. I mean, yes, like Brian covered, a lot of those losses were against bad teams, including a Northern Arizona team, which we covered has zero defense and they were able to put 66 up against, but at the same time, it's just one of those brands that doesn't stay down. They don't have losing seasons. Last year is their version of a bad season. And it's still, we were talking about had North Dakota not beaten like Montana state, I think is who they upset last year. Or if North Dakota had lost like one more game, Eastern makes the playoffs last year, probably. So with everything that happened and how bad they were, they were still knocking on the door at the playoffs last year. Pieces come back. The guys that d- didn't come back now have experience. I think 
they didn't lose that much. I think they have more coming back than they lose. You have Eric Berrier coming back in a year where there aren't all these other quarterbacks to deal with. He is the guy in the big sky this year. Um, I, I just I see them definitely taking a step forward, and I don't – pending a playoff happens, I don't see them missing it this year. I, um, I, I feel like Eastern is kind of the FCS equivalent to Alabama as far as – the coaching staff, so much turnover, right? Alabama people goes to raid those coaches and Eastern. If you look at it, you know, you have Bodie reader and then boom, he's gone. And then you have, uh, you know, Zach Hill had been there for a while. And then he goes to Boise State. Now he's at Arizona state as old coordinator. Um, you know, Bodie reader, you lose. Now they lose Jeff Schmetting, the coordinator to Boise state. And I think offensively, Ian Shoemaker came in as the head coach from Central Washington D2 school and then comes in and takes a coordinator job with Eastern. And I think it took a couple games, not quite half the year, but I, I think by the middle part of the year and on, they were really clicking. You know, when a new coach comes in, the way Eastern does it, it's really interesting. The coach doesn't bring in his system and terminology. He has to learn the system and terminology because the way they looked at it is, you know, why have, you know, uh, dozens of kids learn a new system and terminology that all know it compared to just one coach having to learn it. So I think for Shoemaker, it took him some time to come in and get comfortable with the system, terminology, and the personnel. Uh, but you saw the result with a weapon like Barrier and and what they have on the outside. They're always going to have good linemen because they're able to recruit. They, they basically own the state of Washington in recruiting or get their pick of the litter. Um, and they've got a lot of talent up front and, and perimeter positions. Barrier is super explosive, uh, being able to run, throw. I think he's refined his throwing ability more. I think he was more of a runner early on in his career. Um, now he's beating uh, opponents, not just with his arm, but his mind, anticipating reads. And as you watched him grow and develop, and then Shoemaker as a coordinator, I mean, that was a pretty special combination uh, by the middle and end of the year. And if they can start out that way, they're at a huge advantage. We've talked about the disadvantages for teams not having spring ball and this and that. Well, Eastern, Barrier knows the system, right? They know the coach, Shoemaker. They, I mean, they're just in a in a lot better position and um, – you know, they're always going to be at the, the top of that, the, the big sky uh, power base. Um, it's usually just that one game or that one drive uh, offensively or defensively that ends up being the difference in them being a, a conference champion, um, going to the playoffs and making a good run. Yeah. Uh, now it's, it's finally my pick, right? I get three. Okay, yeah. cool. This one I'm excited because we have Taylor on for. Um the Montana Grizzlies. So Root Sports covers them a ton. So you've gotten to see them probably more than any other team. Um, they probably – I actually had them at four. I mean, we talked. you talked about Eastern being the Alabama of, of the FCS. Montana's the Texas, right? They're always – Montana's back, baby. The Grizz are back. Um, <laughs> and for a hot minute there, they, they looked like they were back. Snead had them yeah. rolling. How had the pieces going? Their linebackers just for every Don or every Josh Bust they lose, they have a Dante Olson and then they have a Jace Lewis. Like they just refill that middle linebacker, outside linebacker role so well. Um, they've got two all Americans, a wide receiver, and Samore uh, Torre and Samuel Kem. Uh, they have all the pieces there. They've got to figure out quarterback. Is it Cam Humphrey? Uh, we, we don't know. Um, they're bringing in guys. So it's one of those things kind of like I talked about with 
um, Dan Hawkins. Bobby Houck left. It didn't necessarily work at UNLV. But when he's been back in Montana, it appears to be working. I think they were probably a year ahead of schedule each of the last two years. I think in 2018, um, they're a little bit more ahead of what I thought. And I think they're a little bit more uh, to the, I think 2020 is the year where they might take that step back. I think they'll kind of come back to reality a bit. They they don't have the quarterback in place that the I think they need to be at the level they were last season and in 2018. Now, mm-hmm. being ranked the third best team in the Big Sky in a year where like we're saying I just don't expect you to be that good um, it, it is a, a testament to what Montana is and how good of a coach Bobby Houck is because we're talking about Eastern Washington, who's the only team to represent the big sky in the national championship in the last 15 years and, or at least the last 10. And, you know, we're talking about, Oh, they had a down year, this and that they might be coming back. Montana arguably lost more and we're still giving them more credit than we're giving Eastern Washington. Who's proved that they're always seem to be there. So I I don't want to take it as a slight at Montana. I know some people on Montana fans are probably gonna be upset that they're not one. Um, but I just think you lose Snead. I just I know they have pieces coming back, but I just think last year they had a schedule that was very beneficial to them. They took advantage of it, and this year I just think it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But at the same time, they finished you know basically third last year, so basically I'm saying they're going to be right about where they were. I just don't expect a quarterfinal appearance from them this year. So, oh, go ahead, Brian. To me, Montana, you have to understand them as, you know, they're, they're in year three of their evolution back to whatever exactly they're going to be. And, you know, Bobby Hawk's first run there, they're much more of a run first, you know, kind of hard-nosed team. Defensively and on the line, they're moving in that direction pretty dang fast. Losing Dalton Sneed is a huge question, is a huge deal for him. Cam Humphrey was good, certainly not as good as Dalton Sneed. But this team got a ton of FBS transfers on the defensive side of the ball. I believe Montana is going to be. I don't. I picked them three because I don't know how to pick them above the two teams we haven't talked about. But I think we're going to see a team that is taking uh, pretty big steps on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, if you look through some of the transfers, we're, we're talking guys from. First off, secondary was kind of their weak spot last year. They have FBS transfer from Louisville, and I believe it's either Oregon or Oregon State who are projected to potentially be starters uh, at corner this year. They also have both, you know, they have some linemen from places like Washington State, University of Arizona coming in, in addition to having the preseason defensive player of the year, who I would not have voted for, uh, Jace Lewis, linebacker. Uh, they, they have a ton of talent on that side of the ball. Um, so for me, I guess what I'd say about Montana is though, who actually gets the ball to guys like Samari Torre and Sammy Akem is a question. They still have. They have elite talent on defense. They have you know, a guy like Marcus Knight, led the big sky in rushing touchdowns last year, coming back. I think he's just a junior. Um, I'd say their floor is unbelievably high. Um, can they make the jump? I, it's hard for me to say, but they, I think off the radar, they have a lot coming in that maybe some of our average fans wouldn't think about first. How about you, Taylor? I think those are all really good points. And, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of the um, stadiums and game day facilities. If you've never been to a University of Montana home game, uh, get that on your bucket list because it is really cool. I've been to some of the biggest and played in front of some 
big FBS stadium and crowd. And I'm not sure anywhere as loud as Montana when those fans, I mean, they're the pro team there, right? Montana, Montana state, they are the pro team in Montana. The history of it is just uh, an awesome place to, to be at. Um, you know, Bobby Howe had recruited me out of high school. He was at Colorado. And so I go back a long way with him and, you know, his at Montana RTD is the things they put on all their shirts and weight room return to dominance. I mean, that was the thing we had at Colorado that Bobby uh, took from that. And, um, it's such a perfect jump for him. You know, a Montana, he's a Montana boy, you know, him and his brother, good old Montana boys. And so he takes a lot of pride in being from there, representing that state. And I think that's an important thing. Um, you know, at UNLV, yeah, he went to the FBS level. UNLV is hard to win for anybody. Um, I don't care who they are. Um, but I think he's come in and, you know, he, he talked about that. Hey, it's going to take a couple of years to recruit and, and not so much the athletes we want here, but the, the, personalities we want here. Bobby is really different. And so in Montana's always been able to recruit really good players, but he, he wants a different type of mindset and, and breed. And um, he feels like, you know, last year he felt like they were kind of a year away from having all of those pieces in place. Uh, and, and I think they do. And as you mentioned, getting some transfers and, you know, kind of some putting some band-aids on places they needed, especially the secondary, we watched their corners get roasted a bunch last year. Um, but that receiver, uh, duo, I'm not sure I wouldn't take them over most receiver duos at the FBS level. I mean, they are something special. Sammy Kim, when I would go to the team walkthrough, uh, the day before their game and I'd watch him walking down the, the hallway. I mean, I like, to me, I'm saying that's the guy we want getting off our bus first. We want opponents seeing him and that's a receiver. I mean, he is big, broad shoulders and, um, you know, dealt with an injury last year, but he was killing it uh up till then and then samore kind of jumped up and said okay i'll take the baton and run with it um cam humphrey now the good thing for them dalton got injured um a few weeks looked like a season was going to be over and cam stepped in and actually did really well but then struggled in his last start where they had to pull him and put dalton in to kind of save the day and so against idaho right so what is he going to do for his confidence and mindset and his teammates confidence in him you know that there's a lot to tell and I think the spring would have been good for him to kind of get that confidence going he didn't get it so we'll see how that plays out but I can tell you whoever's behind center I mean just throw the just give your guys a chance I mean 50 50 balls are more like 80 20 when you're throwing to those two guys on the outside yeah you know I was at that I was at that game last year when Idaho um played Montana. I was on the sideline. Um, and what the difference, you know, between Cam Humphrey and Dalton Sneed, you know, I think Cam Humphrey, he, uh, he, he might have lost some respect maybe for his teammates and the fact that you were doing so well and we're playing I- Idaho, who was, you know, offensively, whatever. But if he comes up against an elite defense um, this next year, he might struggle sometimes. So I love the comment for the, the floor at Montana is super low because they are so built up everywhere except maybe quarterback. And so I think, you know, looking at their schedule, I mean, God, they have a murderer's row of Southern Utah, Northern Colorado, and NAU between Idaho and the Cat Grizz game. That's their schedule. They have Idaho, those three games, and the Cat Grizz game. Um, so I, it's going to be tough for them not to finish, at least in the top four of the conference. But um, when they come up against, you know, the Idaho's, um, the Sac States, the Easterns, and the Montana States, um, those are going to be telling for, for how Montana is going to be. Um, I don't know if it's going to be Cam Humphrey or their transfer from a USF they got. Um, 
but yeah, Wagner is beautiful place, beautiful stadium. Missoula is fun town. Um, you know, love to see the Brownstein back in the dome. Um, since first time since 90, 94, 95. So it's been 25 years since that thing's been the dome. So hopefully, uh, I'd be, that'd be a good time this year. I hope we get that back. Yeah. Um, so Taylor, I guess you get to be the tiebreaker here. Who are you picking at two, which then leaves, you know, somebody yeah. else at so number one. Thinking, so you might as well talk, you might as well talk about right both here. of them. Yeah. I'm picking two. <laughs> I, I, I feel special. Um, I, you know, I think this is one of those situations that, um, you know, Grant Duff is a good friend of mine at, at Weber state, uh, recruiting coordinator, and he recruits the Northwest and, um, you know, he keeps putting stuff out and, and I mean, it just shows consistency of what Weber state has been. So with, you know, Montana state, uh, I think Choate is the real deal. Um, I, I don't think Bobcats wants to want to hear this, but I don't think he's going to be there much longer. I think he's done incredible things with Montana state without a true quarterback, you know, I mean, look at five different guys going, but I, I, I think I'm leading into saying the number one I have is Weber state. I, I think until somebody proves otherwise with the consistency they've had. So uh, I guess staying in line with what we're doing, that means Montana state uh, putting at two. So we got the, the Bobcats at, at two, uh, which ultimately means Weber State at one. And I'll say a few things and let you guys take it. But uh, Montana State, I do think with Choate, one of the more impressive coaching jobs I watched last year, watching him have to just juggle quarterbacks. And, you know, you had Troy Anderson, who might be the – I think is the best overall athlete at the FCS level. I mean, that guy is an absolute freak to have started at D-line, linebacker, H-backing quarterback at the Division One level and been an impact at all those. In one game, he had a rushing touchdown and a sack uh, from DN. I mean, just a freak. But he wasn't a pure quarterback. You know, so so you're playing with a guy that uh, wasn't even a pure quarterback, and then you're going with uh, Johnson, who's a receiver, and you're starting uh, him and going Wildcat, and then you have, you know, young quarterbacks. Casey Bauman started the year, and then you had um, uh, Rovig, who's really talented. So I think just an incredible coaching job to um, kind of shuffle all the quarterbacks uh, they did, but uh, just really solid on defense. You know, when you watch them, um, Montana State is one of the more sound defenses I've seen at the collegiate level. When you watch games, uh, they just don't blow very many assignments. You don't see guys uh, running past the gap they have, and that's coaching, and then that's players watching film and being very disciplined. So on top of the talent, they're very smart players. They're line up front offensively, uh, physical, but very smart, um, and I think that's been the difference for them and the success they've had. Uh, and for this year, if they can get a stable quarterback with the weapons they have, you know, Isaiah Font at, at, at running back and the receivers in line and the defense, um, this very easily could be a team that not only ends up having a share or outright Big Sky title, but could go on and win a national championship potentially. Yeah, I, I think both these two teams, I really think you're, you know, really just pulling straws at, at this point. Um, either of them, I view this more as a 1A, 1B, a very likely chance they split a title again this year. Um, Montana State, I, I agree with Taylor that 
I think Jeff Choke has done an amazing job. I think he's proved he called himself the redneck Chris Peterson, and, that, and that's what he is. I mean, he he has really taken a program that a, a little different situation. Rob Ash had them going, but just never seemed to win the big games. Jeff Choke changed that where he only seems to win the big games. They might slip up against a Nor- uh, uh, North Dakota every year or something, maybe Northern Colorado, something like that. But when was the last time the Cats won four Cat Grizz, right, in a row? And, mm-hmm. and made the playoffs, what, three or four straight years now. And they're getting narrowing that gap with North Dakota State. And it's everything Choate just does, not even coaching, but off the field too. And I think he's really got this program in a, in a really special place. Um, once again, I, I've talked about it a lot, but I think Sam Herter, cause he traveled out for cat Grizz last year for hero sports. Uh, he said that being a North Dakota state guy, he saw Bozeman as a Montana state as that program that is totally set to be the next, next national contender. They have everything going for them. They're this new brand. That's really fun. They've got the energetic coach and Jeff Choate. They have a, a city that's fun to be in. They have a fan base that, yeah, that loves them, a big school and, they just got to figure a few things out. They have a 30-year athletic plan to build facilities. like So they can actually say, this is what's going to happen in 2025. This is what's going to happen in 2030. And um, they've got everything rolling. Difference is, we've talked about giving credit where credit is due. Weaver State has done it. We've talked about how Montana State's played really well the last three to four years. But Weaver State's won three straight Big Sky Championships. And talk about kind of with Idaho right now, losing Jake Constantine just feels like possibly addition by subtraction. He didn't, in my mind, he didn't lose them games. He didn't win them games. Somebody is going to come in. And if they do even remotely mediocre, Weaver State will be right where they were. Yes, they lost some very talented people on the defensive side of the ball, but they're also one of those programs that proves they can just reload. And their defense probably is the best, maybe in the entire FCS um, from top to bottom. And, and that means something. And it's weird saying the big skies saw this, you know, air it out, throw it around, high-scoring offenses. And then we look at this consistent defense that has done it for three straight years now, and they keep winning. And I think that's where we've talked about. Once again, Idaho, I like that we're becoming that defensive mentality because Weaver State and Montana State are great examples of your offense has to be somewhat capable, but if you have a really strong defense, you'll win the big sky. You might not be the sexy pick to win it every year, um, you might not have an Eric Barrier or Dalton Sneed, but you'll have some studs at defense, and you'll win some titles, and you'll make deep playoff runs. And I think that's where both these programs are. I think they've been more as 1A and 1B, but Weaver has earned 1A over the last you know three to four years. So I, I will still yeah. put them above Montana State. Yeah, Montana State, um, that program, that, like you, I love how you talk about the city and everything. That that whole university, you can see that trajectory in, in the state of Montana, where Bozeman's going, and how Montana State is compared to the University of Montana. The university as a whole, Montana State, is just booming right now on a path to succeed. While the University of Montana has been declining in terms of academics or support, things like that, and that has transformed over to athletics. And um, you know, Bo Moose is the associate AD for fundraising there at, at Montana State, and. Bo Moose was a G8 Idaho when I first there. So I love Bo, um, you know, and Bobby Daly, uh, the, D, the, D, the linebacker coach in Montana State. Love Coach Daly. He was a GA when I showed up in Idaho. He was the DFO. Um, always love talking fantasy football with Coach Daly. So I have some weird connections with Montana State. And, uh, 
you know, that act, that game actually, and I'm going to bring this back to Idaho in a weird way, but that game, Idaho-Montana State is the game I'm looking forward to the most for Idaho this year. Um, if Idaho has some type of improvement offensively, that game late in the year could have some really big, like, big style implications second last week of the year and really be a cold defensive game in Bozeman in November. Um, last time we showed up to Bozeman, it was October. wasn't snowing. Woke up Saturday morning, and it dumped three feet. And then we missed the PAT over the upright, and I'm still pretty sure it's in. So but that that uh, program, Montana State, has just improved so much. Um, you know, if they get a quarterback situation figured out, they're going to be unstoppable. And Weber State, like, man, that program just doesn't seem to stop uh, being consistent. I think that's the best word for Weber State has been consistency. They are the epitome of what consistent is in the big sky. These other teams come and go to the top. You know, the UC Davis is the Sac State. So, Montana's in the Eastern, but the last three, four, five years, Weber State's been there at the top, always holding down. So they deserve to be number one. I think it's a um, testament to, to Jay Hill, too. I mean, yeah. before he got there, they were terrible. And yeah. I, I think that is for all of these big sky programs, the ones at the lo- bottom of the list, the ones in the middle of the pack. It's like, listen, coaching really does matter that much. Guys that can recruit and then guys that can develop talent and be good with X's and O's. I mean, you saw with Hawkins coming into UC Davis a couple years ago, Troy Taylor coming into uh, Sac State and Choate coming into Montana State, what he's done. And uh, with Jay Hill and Weber State, you mentioned it, the consistency. They've had it in the coaching staff, which has led to it in recruiting and the players. And um, they've just, they've done things the right way. I mean, they've had really, really impressive linebacking crew. I think, I think, we always talk about big guys up front, but a linebacking crew in the big sky is so important because you have to have guys that are physical enough to help in the run game and stop the run, but be athletic enough to get in the passing game, right? Because otherwise, back in the day, it was, hey, we had our run linebackers. They come out. We have our nickel package come in. Well, now in the big sky and the, the run path options, um, you, you can't have that. It was like running backs. You'd have your first and second down running back and then your third down pass catcher, and now they've morphed into one, and that's the way linebackers are. And if you look at Weber State, that's where their strength has been. That defense, their strength has been their linebacking crew. And if you look at with Idaho as they're kind of emerging, what's starting to happen? The linebackers, those hybrid ends have just emerged as playmakers. And um, I I think that is a a big key in this conference. And the teams that are doing really well, look at Montana's linebackers, it, it ends up being that crew that uh, does well. So I'm, I'm taking, I, I'm getting my cue from you guys, no matter what we're talking about, circle it back to Idaho, baby. That's, that's the key, right? That's, that's, that's the, the key. You know, what I'll say about Montana state uh, one, they have, they're like Montana. They've got, they had a handful of FBS transfers on the defensive side of the football. You know, they already have one of the better linemen, Amandre Williams. He's the university of Washington transfer. Um, he's going to be joined by John Clark, University of Washington transfer on the line. They also they also picked up a guy uh, to play safety from Arizona. Um, and already Montana State, now they do lose guys like Braden Conkle from last year, but Montana State had the best scoring defense in conference play last season, uh, gave up 20.1 points per game. They're they're going to, even losing guys, they're going to be great. Yeah, they lose Troy Anderson, but like Troy Anderson to me is he's more – He's more interesting because he can do so many things well. That doesn't mean he's the best in the league at any position. And having that versatility is – it's going to hurt. But they have – 
they have a pipeline of FBS transfers transfers that come comes in that's been coming in from the Pac-12, working that redneck Chris Peterson thing. Um, and I, I think Montana State, like we saw last year against Montana, absolutely dominating them. Uh, you know, on both sides of the line, we're going to see that again. I mean, Montana State had two preseason Big Sky um, offensive linemen selected, so again, they're going to do they're going to have no trouble doing their ball control where they actually score. They were one of the they, they actually averaged more points per game last year than you would th- than you know an average fan might think. You know, thirty five a game considering they have no quarterback. If Matt McKay uh, from North Carolina State, um, if he's he's a kind of a presumptive starter, you might say. Uh, if he's any, if he's real, um, yeah, this team might be taking that next step. Uh, but I also have no problem putting them below Weber State. Uh, Weber State, it is all kind of like I said with Barrier. It's almost boring to talk about how every year Weber State is elite defensively. We're talking nationally elite. Uh, they they gave up total defense last year. Uh, they were number two in total defense, three hundred thirty eight yards per game. And this year, uh, they, there's a chance Randall Johnson, quarterback, uh, had played at uh, East Tennessee State, I believe. Um, if he's a step up um, and and they can have a little bit more – or maybe the middle Tennessee State. If they can yeah. be a little bit more dynamic offensively, they've already got a two-headed running back beast and Josh Davis, who's an All-American candidate. But Kevin Smith's pretty good too. Uh, between the, those two guys and Rashid Shahid on special teams and wide receivers, some, someone could get him the ball. Uh, Weber State to me is the team until proven otherwise. Doesn't it feel to you guys like, you know, Alabama and LSU before Tua and Joe, it was always like they're so good, but if they ever had a quarterback, and I feel like with Weber State and Montana State, it's like, oh my goodness, look how good they've been. (laughs) If they ever got a real explosive, talented, good quarterback, imagine what they'd actually do and be. Yeah, that's a great comparison actually. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of explosive people, um, I mean, Brian, are we ready to get into the uh, offensive defensive players of the year, and maybe some teams to watch and wrap it up? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. We can get quick reactions. Um, you know, Big Sky teams were also announced uh, during the media days, and a couple noteworthy things. Uh, one, uh, six total Montana players were selected to the first team offense or defense uh, uh, players of the year, which we'll probably take a little bit of note with of uh, what well, we want to talk about a little bit offensive player of the year, Eric Barrier from Eastern Washington uh, defensive player of the year, Jace Lewis inside linebacker from Montana, uh, Idaho had Christian Ellis and Trey Walker as part of the, uh, their preseason, all big sky collect, uh, selections. So I guess first question I have for you, Taylor, uh, we also have some other noteworthy names. You know, both both Montana wide receivers made the uh, the first team offense. Elijah Dotson from Sac State, Josh Davis from Weber State were the running backs. Uh, George Tarlis, defensive end from Weber, was selected along with Josiah Erickson from Sac State. And defensive backs with Anthony Adams at Port, uh, Portland State, Darian uh, Darren Bland from Sac State, and Robbie Hauk from Montana. They're all de- defensive backs. So I guess Taylor. Um, I want, I want you to take this whatever direction you want. Uh, were you, I guess, were you surprised with, were, were any selections uh, or patterns in the first team that were a surprise to you? Uh, I, I mean, I think you can always make an argument for guys they put out there. I mean, I, it, like the player of the year, I think for offensively, I think for Barrier, 
to me, yes, because we talked about the lack of quarterbacks returning to, to their, their teams and programs and the numbers he put up last year, especially the way he finished the season, uh, that offense, they're always going to be a really relevant team. Um, I, I love that pick the Jace Lewis one. And I watched him a bunch. I mean, he's a very, very good player. Um, and he puts up, you know, good numbers because of, of that defensive scheme. I, as far as defensive player of the year, I mean, talking about the Idaho guys, I mean, Chris and Ellis, I mean, that would be a guy and Robbie Houck too. Robbie Houck is kind of my sleeper defensively. Now you talk about putting up huge numbers. I mean, there were games, he had almost 20 tackles from that safety spot, which usually that's concerning because that's your last line of defense. But the way Kemper's scheme was, was to get him down in the box and a lot of robber and thief kind of coverages and looks, and he's covering uh, slot receivers, making tackles. So um, I, I, I mean, I, I like a lot of the picks. I just, you know, the receivers. The problem is, like a Kem and Toure, if it was just one of them on the roster, I feel like they'd have a better chance at it, but they're going to be splitting catches and, um, you know, balls thrown their way. So um, there's always going to be, you know, there's always the Kevin Thompson out there that's going to emerge. You know, we talked Joe Burrow, I mean, with LSU. I mean, people were talking about him being a six-round pick, and then all of a sudden he goes number one. Um, so th- there's going to be, I mean, with Cal Poly, it could be a quarterback stepping in there and Bo Baldwin system. And they just, they go bonkers and, uh, have a crazy year. But I think going into the season, I think offensively Barrier, you know, you talk about, uh, Josh Davis for Weber state. That's another one that just, he got, he got injured a little bit. So you got, um, Smith got some reps, but, um, that's a guy in that system. They're going to play ball control, Weber State. They're going to run the ball a lot. Defense is going to get them a lot of three and out. So, um, you know, they could put up some some big numbers and and be the guy. But uh, I think I, I think Barrier offensively to me is is the easier pick. Jace Lewis, I I can see an argument for it. But um, a kid like Christian Ellis, who is just going to disrupt offenses so many different ways, stopping the run. Uh, getting pressure on the quarterback, uh, you know, dropping into coverage, getting picks. I, I, I really like him as the guy that I could see at the end of the year uh, being the guy, especially if he helps uh, Idaho um, make a run at this thing where they're really relevant. Um, I could see him being the guy at the end of the year uh, getting that award. Boatman? Yeah, I mean, took the words right out of my mouth. Um, love always circling back to Idaho makes it easy. Um I think it's easy to forget that Trey Walker had 138 tackles yeah. as a true so- as a, like a true sophomore. Like that kid has a couple of years left in him, and you know, um, I think he's third position. returning solo tackler coming into the season this year. So yeah, you know, um, I, that's impre- that's impressive. Um, and I think one name that could really, if he wasn't have been hurt last year, and I think Charles Ocano actually yeah. might be the most key piece of that Idaho defense because Idaho defense is a unique defense. We run a three four, but that that fourth linebacker is called it's called a buck. It's more of a stand up end. It's more of like an NFL scheme. What you see when you see someone like a Khalil Mack, um, you know, or Von Miller type scheme is what yeah. we run. And that buck position to Idaho is crucial because you need a buck who's consistent, who's gonna disrupt the pass game and also be athletic enough to get back into coverage with a couple of times. Um, yeah. I think that's one name he puts up some numbers. That's a name that you could be seeing um, be up there for a defensive player of the year. And offensive player of the year is Eric Berry. I mean, come on. The guy's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like watching yeah. – it's like playing with Johnny Johnny football on 
NCAA like your team. So <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not fair. So yeah, I'll go defensively. I agree. Chuck Acano, as far as name, Troy or Trey Walker, uh, Robbie Houck, guys who deserved it. Christian Ellis, obviously. I think obviously Acano and Ojo both being hurt is what kind of kept them out. Um, yeah. But I think they'll both have a shot end of the year to make it. The Eastern Washington linebacker. Um, offensively, it's Barry A's year. It's his to lose. If there's a guy, I guess, to throw a name that I think could maybe give him, give him a push, it's probably Josh Davis, the running back for Weber State. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, especially with the new quarterback, he's probably going to be expected to carry a lot of the offense. So that's a guy who might be able, like how Taylor touched on, the Montana wide receivers are both good enough to win it, but because they're on the same team, it, it's just going to be hard to say that either one of them is absolutely the best player in the conference. Um, where Josh Davis has a chance to be the only guy for Weber, yeah. so he can get a lot of carries. So uh, I'd throw his name in for end of the season, possibly getting. He did not outplay Barry Ace, who does not deserve the preseason recognition for it, but when the postseason comes around, a guy that could very well win that title yeah. out of Barry A's hands. The only thing I'd add defensively, because I don't have any real pushback on the team other than maybe Pierre Williams as the third uh, first team wide receiver. I might've gone with Brandon Porter instead. Um, but Hey, Kershaw Haywood has a case to be made too. Uh, but the defensively, what I'll say is both George, uh, George Harless and Jared Scheiss from Weaver state um, are going to be guys who uh, I think will, will definitely be getting some votes for all defensive. I mean, uh, George Tarless lot. He's the, uh, he leads. He had the most sacks of any returning player. Well, he was tied for most sacks with Christian Ellis of any you know any any player coming back from next year. And with how Weber State dominates defensively, it's one of those things where you know sometimes the most impactful player on the best team uh, can can you know slide in for an award. Yeah. And then uh, real quick, let's just kind of cover teams to look out for. Kind of dark horse teams. Give me one team that you think, and I guess Dark Horse, interpret it how you want. I know some people like that means they got to be in the bottom half. For some people say as long as they're not, you know, top three. Uh, who's your Dark Horse team that we're talking Weber right now, media coaches and us picked Weber one. Who's the team to kind of come out of nowhere and take it possibly? Brian? You know, to me, if Dark Horse means team that you don't think is in the playoffs, but could, you could see slipping into the playoffs – so that we talk about a team other than Idaho, um, you know, if you look at you look at our look at our poll, we have Sac State at seven, UC Davis at six. Um, I'm going to take Sac State as I think they they're a little bit under the radar, like we talked about. Um, they their quarterback position could be taken care of with Nevada transfer. They have a favorable schedule. They they don't need a ton to line up and throw them in a position where they're sitting pretty in the playoffs. Taylor. Oh, oh yeah, Taylor. I call me crazy, and you call me crazy for this. Portland State. I mean, you talk about a dark horse team where it's like, hey, if you just take the dots, do they have talent? Yes. Do they have a returning quarterback that's very talented, can make plays with his feet and arm? Yes. Do they have a coach that has had success? They had the one year, the Barney Ball year, that really saved his job. Maybe even that program, uh, you know, that year. Um, if they put it all together and it's a strange year to begin with because people haven't had spring ball summer and um, you know, all these programs we've talked about at the top of the conference that have had all these transfers coming in. Okay. But those guys haven't had the time to gel. So all of those factors combined um, could be maybe a justification for me saying Portland state could be a dark coast. Do I think it's going to happen? No, but 
do I see it as a possibility? Um, yes. And I think the quarterback returning and being a veteran and, and a talented guy is what uh, would, would allow me to put them in that. Bowman. Yeah. Taylor actually took mine. Um, so, you know, what? I'm going to be a Homer. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Idaho. I'm going to, we talked about a year. It's important, you know, with Idaho does not with COVID and not having to replace a whole lot outside of the quarterback and a couple of line positions. Idaho does not have a whole lot to replace to try to get guys at the scheme. That defense is plug and play right now. It's a good time. There are some key old line pieces that do return that can help guys along. We're not talking about incoming guys. It's guys who had ruptured and have been there for a year. So they know the system. Coach Jake always has them playing well. Um, you figure out that quarterback position. That Idaho, Idaho, I said it. Idaho's been a quarterback away, probably you know consistent quarterback play last year from from maybe making the playoffs, so maybe at least beat Wyoming, you Northern Colorado, maybe even Weber State. That was a close game that people forget about, and we we have more consistent offensive play. Idaho's the team that can really cause a lot of headaches in this conference. Yeah, I, I will go when I'm talking dark horse, I'm talking out of nowhere, which we're in the perfect conference to talk about it. You look at first year head coaches that just come out of nowhere, and make splashes. We're talking Troy Taylor last year with Sac State. We're talking Dan Hawkins in 2018 with UC Davis. We're talking 2016, Demario Williams at Southern Utah. For some reason, we get these new coaches in. They take the whole conference by storm. So you're, you're talking Bo Baldwin, which seems like the obvious choice. I just think the triple option is too hard. I'll surprise people. I think Ed McCaffrey, somehow the energy, the recruiting he got, the fact that people are sleeping on him, the grass field, Greeley being weird. Maybe it's a weird year up in Greeley. Last year we had Sac State pick last. This year we have Northern Colorado pick second to last. First-year coaches somehow seem to win the conference every once. I mean, what, three out of the last four years in this in the big sky. Crazier things have happened, and I, I think this is the year maybe – Northern Colorado comes out of nowhere, gets a share of the Big Sky title with Montana State and Weaver State. But <laughs> that'd be my dark horse. Um, all right. So, Taylor, before uh, we have you sign off, we do something called Getting Iced. We've kind of been asking you questions all throughout the podcast. So uh, this is your chance to kind of ask us anything. It can be sports-related or it can just be a general life question. Uh, and we'll answer it, and then we'll uh, sign off with you. Tell me how you guys all got connected and got this started. Whose idea was it? And then who was it that pushed it through to finally get it to happen? Because usually that's two different people. Yeah, um, I'll take that one. So Tubbs at the Club was started in 2016, 2015, 2016 by a former journalist. He's actually done some work with the Times. Um up here in Seattle that just loved Idaho and figured it doesn't get enough coverage. So we started tubs of the club.com. Um, then when I moved up to Seattle, uh, I met him. He just knew I was a big Vandal fan. Um, and we just met up at a, a bar down here in Fremont. He started talking, said, do you want to be part of the website? I was like, you know, I'm not really a, a journalist. Like I'm not going to be writing articles. Um, but I had had some experience with kind of like this kind of stuff. And so, I said, well, you know, I might be interested in starting a podcast. Um, and then it ended up podcast was just me and for about an episode. And then I, we had somebody else join in. Then Brian actually started as one of our consistent guys who was always asking us questions on the show. He's a big basketball guy. I am not a basketball guy. So he asked if he could take it over in the uh, this basketball season uh, in 2018. And he did a great job. And so when, 
football rolled around, it seemed like a natural fit to have him on. And then uh, Alex got involved because um, he had moved up here. Uh, I, we had some interactions here and there. And then uh, we he actually filled in on a couple episodes because he and uh, Austin Rico, a former punter of ours, had started their own podcast. And it was getting pretty popular. So we saw it as a great opportunity to bring um, one or two of them in. And so he came in on recruiting and a couple other episodes. And it became kind of a natural click where we just started having him on more and more episodes as a guest that it just made sense to have him be a host. I don't, so, if anybody thinks I missed anything there, but I I have a follow up to it, so that's dope. I mean, this is this is cool. It's been fun being on with you guys. It's obvious you guys have good chemistry and good knowledge and insight. You're freaking homers for Idaho, that's for sure. But I mean, that's <laughs> not out of the bag. I mean, only just, on this show, uh, only on this show. Yeah. When we do the Big Sky uh, podcast stuff, we like to be a little bit more. New there you go. I'm the ultimate. Here we got to cater to the audience. So, <laughs> so as it is, I had there was a minor conspiracy theory amongst some of our fans that I was actually a Montana fan over an Idaho fan last year. Well, you are a Montana fan, so <laughs> I am, but not a right. <laughs> so here's my my follow up to it because obviously, as you guys talk and social media being what it is, and people listening. Who, who who gets it the worst out of you? I mean, who gets heckled the most or who has the most uh, upset fans or people popping off at you out of out of the three of you? That's interesting. I, I actually – I don't know if I have an answer for that. Do you guys? I mean – No, I've only gotten positive feedback because everyone loves me. There, yeah, you go. there you go. Maybe <laughs> me. I'd you say know, Brian and I both have our own little set of people that align more with what we think. So maybe Brian and I – but not any more than each other, I think. I got a little bit of um, pushback a couple times last season. There's a storyline we no longer mention on this podcast that every once in a while I would slip up and I'd let the mask off. Um, so I did get a little bit of pushback from that. But for the most part, I mean, we our, our, fan, the, our listeners have been overwhelmingly positive. You know, I've actually had listeners contact me directly because they knew like my quarantine is pretty restrictive to just ask how things are going. So that's yeah, cool. We, we've been lucky. We've been lucky. We haven't that's been awesome. on the air long enough to piss anybody off. That's, You're right. That's I, it's it's yeah. cool. I, mean, I, I, I was so shocked when I started doing the big sky stuff. Um, I did studio stuff for Ruta first. And then when I started going and doing the games and in the studio, I'm just making comments, breaking things down, nothing, no one cares. I started doing the games and I would literally be doing a Montana game and just say something nice about their program or their fans and the hate I received from the Montana state people like you Homer, that's da da da. And then a week <laughs> later I'm doing Montana state saying nice things about them. And then the Montana fans are coming at me. I, I, I swear. I just, I'm like no more Montana, Montana state games. Cause the second you say something nice, the other fan base <laughs> is on your head. Hey, and people listen to those the the studio stuff. I, Michael Bumpus is doing it now, and I keep waiting for him to make some kind of reference to the old Battle of the Palouse, but uh, <laughs> he has not brought it up yet. Every time I'm like, there's an Idaho game, I'm like, are you going to bring up that like you went to Wazoo and we played you there, twice, yeah. I think, oh, while you were there, but he's not done it here. Yeah, so people year. listen. <laughs> yeah, and I got one other thing I want to throw in, Taylor. Relating to your first question, Chris was way too kind in describing my contributions year one. I I was so ecstatic to have something that was a, that treated gave kind of the ESPN treatment to Idaho for an hour each week 
that I finally felt like I had someone in my world that could match my energy here. And when Idaho struggled in their first season, Chris has not mentioned these yet. I had a couple like deep dives. I did into some, you know, some Idaho stats first year where essentially the DMS for tubs at the club was my free therapy session because I wasn't <laughs> writing for anyone at the time. I wasn't on any podcast and I couldn't, the only way I knew to contact anyone who cared was to write four paragraph Twitter messages to a person I'd never met. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. But uh, before we get you go, you know, let the people know how to find you so they can send you all kinds of Twitter hate. Hopefully more yeah. Twitter love. We've got a Very loving great. fan base. If it's but, Vandals, uh, man, I, I love the Vandals. I, uh, Kimmy Dome is pretty awesome. It was my first time this past year uh, being there for a game. Uh, just a cool environment. The history when you walk in there and you just know – I mean, Doug Nesbitt, you know, all these names that had played there and the great teams and rivalries and having Idaho back in the big sky is uh, a pretty cool thing. Um, yeah, you can – my Twitter is at TaylorBarton12, at TaylorBarton, and then just one, two. Um, find me on there. And um, we have a cool event coming up. I was talking to you guys about it. We have a, a, a Northwest 9. We're bringing in the top – quarterbacks from all around the Northwest Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and um, doing a, a couple day workout where um, after workouts, we kind of evaluate guys and rank the top nine and then have a, a final workout where they get featured. And uh, it's a really fun thing. I obviously had talked to you guys about, I want you out and, and, and seeing, cause it's the senior high school quarterbacks and then underclassmen. So you get a chance to see the best of today and kind of the best of tomorrow this region has. And most of them, are kind of there's the Sam Hewers, the elite guys, but most of them are in that, you know, big sky D2 Mountain West caliber. So there's uh, over the next couple of years, definitely going to be an Idaho, Idaho State and, you know, big sky quarterbacks that uh, are in this. So should be fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, like I said, it, it was really cool having, you know, in a way, the voice of the big sky. You guys are the the nationally televised game, as it were, for the big sky each week. And um you give a different perspective than we could have gotten. So we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome being on here. You guys, uh, you guys have a good thing going, man. This was fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks Taylor. All right. So for you Vandal fans that are still on right now, obviously we got some news to cover. Um, a lot of stuff's come out in the last 24 hours. Uh, so we'll kind of brief on that. We're going on two hours. So it might not be the biggest deep dive, but we know that people are expecting us to say something. So we're going to do that. But first, we want to thank our friends at Hughes River Expedition for bringing you the second half for, I guess, last 25% of this podcast. Have your summer plans been canceled? Are you having a hard time finding a backup plan? Well, don't fret and don't look too far away. There are amazing options right out your back door that offer the ultimate mix of fun and adventure with an opportunity for the best form of social distancing. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental United States. Uh, I think I just did that for the ultimate form of social distancing. Hughes River Expeditions has run first-class trips on rivers in the West since 1976. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the Middle Fork of the Salmon, the Salmon River Canyons, the Selway, or even a special trip like the one this year to see the Perside Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine beaches, hike amazing trails, spot wildlife, soak in amazing beautiful hot springs, uh, Take in history all along the river's edge and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the lower 48 and let Hughes River Expedition handle everything else. Hughes River Expedition has been vandal owned and operated since 1976. 
and is ready to take you on the vacation of a lifetime. HRE is booking trips now through 2023. Don't miss out on a world-class trip right here in the Gem State. You can check them out at HughesRiver.com or give them a call at the HRE office. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull down world-class rivers right here in Idaho. Call them now at 800-262-1882. That's 800-262-1882. There has never been a better time to get out in the fresh air of Idaho's backcountry. But Boatman, you seem like the appropriate guy to to. What is happening, man? What? Yeah, world yeah, upside dude. down. Here we are thinking Idaho is one of the few programs that's on board, should play. Everybody's like it's gonna be the Idaho and Montana schools just last week. Now it's things have changed. Yeah, um, big news for those of you who have not seen Colton Clark first on Monday. Uh, afternoon broke news about, um, you know, number of COVID cases on the team and also number of guys who are quarantined. I've heard it could be more or possibly could be more than that 9 and 24 that was mentioned, but not much more. And then today, uh, national reporter, college football, if you pay attention to college football, you know the name, Brett McMurphy. He broke the news uh, that about 75% of the Idaho team um, does not want to have a season in the fall because of uh, – Kind of lack of lack of player safety that has come down not not from Idaho from what I've heard not from the team or administration but from it feel unsupported by the conference and then by the NCAA mainly and so that that has been um, some big news you know you don't see Idaho in the news too much except for ESPN when it was uh, today. yeah yeah That's you funny. know Idaho's only been mentioned in the three letter um, acronym argument in the last few years nationally but this is a little different. Um, for me, you know, um, player college, college athletes are in a weird spot. You you know, you're not a pro player. You don't have that kind of you don't have that kind of you don't have as much impact when you say things. Um, yeah. And there's always someone right behind you to take your spot. You know, when Odell or Odell Beckham speaks or JJ Watt speaks, got everyone listens. You can't bench them, but you can bench someone from Idaho or some – we see at Wazoo right now what's going on. You know, players are probably being cut from the team because of their – the whole participation in the Pac-12 Players Union that's going on. Um, so I'm glad that some guys in Idaho spoke up for what they believe in and, and, and you know, let their voices be heard. Um, that's, that's my thought on it. Some might say, you know, that's not the place. You know, you want to go through the coach. You want to go through that. But – college athletes have more voice now than ever in today's society with social media. Um, you know, good for these guys. And I heard there, I've heard, I've heard, you know, from the response, I knew there was a team meeting today, nothing but support from a coach Petrino and then um, AD Golic with, you know, want to support their players in terms of their thoughts on health. So. Yeah, that's, that's my take on it is uh, one, I feel it's story broke in a way that made it seem like they were coming at Idaho from everything I've read. It's more the NCAA being yeah. not providing enough guidance and like reassurance that we're going to keep you safe, which is why, I mean, I don't know if they came up with it, but the wealth over health thing is, it's starting the trend. Um, that's how I keep referring. Oh, it's the wealth over health argument. And I'm like, I don't know if that had been said before. 
So it's put Idaho in this weird predicament where nationally now they're this story because they're the first team to really come as a whole and say something, which has been my whole, which puts me in a predicament, I will say, because I have been the person that has said, I think we're listening to everybody say what should happen with college football, except the players. I was like, I'm tired of hearing, you know, Joe Blow on Twitter and Big Sky Commissioners and Mark Emmert and, I mean, for Terry Gollick and Scott Green. Like, these aren't the people that have to play. Even coaches like Petrino. Like, these aren't the guys who have have to play. Um, I was saying listen to the players because ultimately whatever decision is made impacts them the most. Yes, coaches have to be involved with it, so they also a little bit, but not as much as the players. Now, my opinion, mindset was that most of the players would be in favor of playing. That was my understanding from what, how, what I was reading and some player comments I had seen that, which just goes to show that sometimes it is the vocal minority. I had seen players say that, like, I just want to play football. Like, everything else aside, like, don't take away my season, da 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 Something we should be listening to the players. Like, it should be their choice. I'd have spoken. I I am never I, my whole time here I've been saying I think you let people play and you play the season but you don't punish anybody for not wanting to play and take their health in their own hands. You reward their their uh, scholarship with a free no questions asked medical red shirt. Like nobody should be forced to play. I have been on that point the whole time, but you let the people that want to play play. In college football, you have unlike the NFL backups on backups on backups. Now Idaho has changed my opinion in the fact that we've had 70% of our team say no. And my whole point was let the players do it. And the players at Idaho have spoken. So whether I still want fall football to happen, I can at least say from my stance as a Vandal alumni, I'm extremely proud that our players spoke, that our coach and athletic department and school are being super supportive of it. They're looking to include them in the solutions and not just tell them what they're going to do. That part I'm proud about. Now, do I maybe have to root for Washington State? Well, they probably aren't going to play either. Do I have to root for LSU this year? Do I have to be a Tiger fan for one year just to have somebody that plays college football? Does my world end? No. Am I still a Vandal? Yes. I still think that college football can happen, and I understand now that at least as far as my rooting interest of being a Vandal fan, I'm going to respect what our players say because – it's their decision and they're living it every day. They're the ones that are doing these voluntary workouts. So I can't hate on anything that they have said. If they don't want to play somebody, I think said a comment. Like, I think they were joking. They're like, you know, that leaves 23 players. You can still field an offensive defense and special teams with 23 players. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's sure. But like at the same time, be a team, do it as a team. If the majority, almost three fourths of your team say no, unite as a team and say no. Um, now, maybe the big sky, NCAA, and Terry and Paul, maybe there's just been some miscommunication and misinformation, and they can educate them on what the options are and what's being done behind closed doors that maybe they didn't feel like they were a part of. Maybe it changes their mind. But it's what I've said the whole time is we should be asking the players, and our players have spoken, and our players have said no, and I'm going to stand behind them with that. Maybe I don't di- agree with what they're saying, but I agree with them and they are vandals and I'm a vandal. And so that supersedes anything that I thought about this season, I guess is where I'm going. Cause I know now people are going to be like, Oh, you're just what is, you know, snowflake. It's afraid of 
the coronavirus. It's like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm supporting my, my team. And this is how I have to support my team this year is standing behind them. It's just like at a game, you support them when they're winning, you support them when they're losing right now. This is what they're doing this year. And I'm going to stand behind them and support them in this, whether I agree with it or not. When they win, I agree with them. When they lose, I disagree with them. I still stand by them. And this is just another one of those situations. I'm rooting for all of them. That's my little soapbox rant on the whole thing. Uh, am I disappointed that it looks like Idaho probably won't be playing football this fall? Yeah, of course. As a fan, I wanted it. I wanted it more than anything. It was it was my escape. I'm not a basketball guy. The NBA being back doesn't get me excited. College football would have. But life will go on, and it just goes to show some things are more important than sports. Tottenham Hotspur well, doesn't get you excited either. Also, I, I got to tell you, um, I I could not be more happy with how uh, Athletic Director Golic responded to this. Because one thing I'm not yeah. clear on whether the players knew. You know, when we've talked about not not we, I mean like the collective we, we talk yeah. about people having a choice to play or not play, to coach or not coach. Let's pretend like Coach Petrino wasn't comfortable coaching. I don't know. Like, does he keep his job if he chooses to sit out? I don't. I have no idea. We learned from Athletic Director Golic that if a player says they don't, they they can't play this year because of health concerns, either for themselves or someone close to them, they will not lose their athletic scholarship for sitting out due to a pandemic. Uh, so I'm I'm incredibly happy that that was the response. Where uh, you know she also said she really wants she wants people to be forthcoming about what their concerns are in terms of safety. You know, what what we've seen so far, 125 athletes are back on campus. Uh, nine have tested positive. No fewer than 15 others are being quarantined. All nine who have tested positive, that counts two coaches, are reported to be experiencing symptoms. We're unclear what severity uh, and to what extent they're experiencing symptoms. But, you know, if people are curious about, like, you know, just catching it and having nothing happen, well, all, all nine positive cases we have, the guys, the people are experiencing negative symptoms practice hasn't really been going on that long and we know Idaho has been pretty rigid about the protocols of like who gets into and out of the Kibbe dome. Uh, Coach Petrino was also open uh, during media days that the head athletic trainer kind of rules the school right now uh, in terms of safety precautions. Uh, so, you know, Idaho's different from, you know, Montana who we've received multiple reports that uh, let's just say they are not being as stringent as Idaho right now. Um, Idaho's still trying. Idaho's trying to do things right, and we're still getting a ton of cases. Um, so, man, I, I mean, that's just the thing that that sucks about what we're looking at is it. We might not have a season because of this, but I will say something: we're going to learn. How many of those athletes who initially didn't want to play, when they hear they truly have a choice of whether to play or not, and what and know they'll keep their scholarship if they sit out. Knowing they have that backing, I'm curious what number would change from, well, I didn't want to play because I didn't truly have a choice to, okay, like, you know, if things get a little bit better, um, I might play. Or maybe it's a, it's good that we get our cases early before the season starts. I think that number could change. But, you know, to put a button on it, I, I could not be more happy with how our coaching staff and how our athletic department responded to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of looking into it more. Um not that they don't want to play from what I've had conversations with guys. It's that I think they want to play. They do want to play. And whether that's the spring or even the fall, I think they are just waiting for some sort of 
guidance or reassurance from the NCAA and the big sky that, that their health is valued and that there are plans in place to make sure if they do, they are sick, you know, can they medically register? Do they get this year back? If they do opt out because scholarships are not four year scholarships or five year scholarships. They're one years. You have to resign every spring. You have to coach Trino's office every spring, have your meetings, resign your scholarship. So is there a reassurance that if you do sit out, is that scholarship going to be sitting there for you next spring to sign again? I think that's kind of what they're wanting. It's they don't want to play this. want to make sure that, that they're being taken care of um, so they get their job down the field because everyone wants to play football. Um, and where this is going to be really interesting is fall camp hasn't started, but I, I know Idaho's policy is if someone gets it, anyone who's come in close contact with them has to quarantine for two weeks. How is this going to affect position? You're going to see whole position groups wiped out for periods of fall camp, potentially. I'm going to tell, yeah. I'm going to tell you guys right now, I, I know my old position group has no one practicing for the first week of fall camp because they're all in quarantine. And how is that going to, you know, how is this so, how is that going to affect when you have, what happens when a linebacker gets it? And now everyone who's in that meeting room for shared meeting room or shared a locker next time, you know, that's, I think that's kind of what they're looking for is how, what's the guidance on this. And there hasn't been any from, because not blame the big sky, well, kind of the inside latest keeps kicking the can down the road and we're hoping to see some sort of information. Like, hopefully tomorrow, maybe yeah, it's supposed to be last week. Now it was supposed to be today. Now it's going to be tomorrow morning. Yeah. Like what are you deciding tonight that you couldn't have yeah. just dis, like the NC I think, there's a I don't follow up on the whole power five this whole decision. I think that's what it is. It's the threat of the power five totally yeah, pulling. It is. But it, the power five is showing their hand. They've, you yeah. know, are showing pocket aces and they're being like, What do you have, NCAA, that can beat this? You know, it, it's yeah, it, it's challenging, but at the same time, you're not providing a strong front now, kicking the can down the road for a second time. No. Yeah, it's one day, but then Wednesday morning is going to turn to well, when is Wednesday morning? Like, are we talking like 1 p.m. Eastern time? Or are they going to be like, oh, it's actually 1 p.m. Pacific Hawaii time? Like, it's yeah. just, I just don't, I mean, Brian and I talked about it a little bit off the air last night. I was like, I would not be shocked if tomorrow we talked about how during the podcast there could be breaking news or more likely chance the NCAA just doesn't announce anything again which is practically what they did. We're going to make a decision Wednesday morning. And it's just, it's I getting to the point that. where I just, it is them. And like you said, it, it, a lot of this is the NCAA. You talked about scholarships. We're not talking about if we cancel fall and move it to the spring. And then in my opinion, if you do spring, I don't think anything's really going to get better. You're probably just canceling the season at that point. I um, hope I'm wrong, but that's how my mindset of it is. That's why I'm more of a fall guy. How's that happen now? Because I do believe everybody should keep their red shirt or keep their scholarships, keep the red shirt. How do you recruit? You have scholarship limits. So the NCAA hasn't provided any guidance on that either. Like, okay, if the season's canceled, your seniors can still come back and will honor how many seniors you had and give you that many scholarships to give to freshmen or incoming, you know, recruits. Because like if you don't play a whole season, you technically have a full roster next year. I mean, yeah, some people might transfer, some people might just decide I'm gonna graduate. There'll be a little, little bit of that, but not enough to bring in a full recruiting class. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that these schools are also looking at. So, like, it's a, yeah, it's a little minute thing that you don't think about 
is what is actually holding all this up. It's things like that that are yeah. holding and creating all these stories, you know, and which is just uh, I could get into. I we've been going so long. I don't want to, keep, but this virus happened in March. We went through this with fall and spring sports. I mean, with spring and uh, winter sports in NCAA. Why are we waiting until August to make a decision for fall sports when they're supposed to be getting going this month? They kicked the can down the road too long, way too long. My opinion, you know, let's not keep beating a dead horse, I guess. And yeah, I agree. They just need to freaking, as yeah. the old saying goes, <laughs> shit or get off the pot. And I also want to, up, want to close with a point Alex brought up, and thank you for bringing it up this way. Uh, the, you're right. The players, they're, they're just like teachers who might not get to go back in classrooms. People don't want that. It's that they don't, the players voted to say they don't feel safe at this point with, yeah. with how the season would look. Um, and I, yeah, I think, I think that's just important for people to remember because it's pretty easy for, it's pretty easy with what we're going through right now uh, for people to misunderstand the idea of safety um, as being a guiding decision maker, which in just different times, typically it's not, but that's the case. And you know what? I, I think in the grand scheme of things, this will come out as positive press for Idaho. It shows that we have a team and a school that is behind our players, supporting our players, and our players, yeah, it kind of came out that maybe it came out via the media because they didn't feel confident. But it didn't come across as like, we don't trust Petrino, we don't trust Gallic. It was just in, in the environment of football right now, some stuff are happening, people speaking out, and we just want to do it this way. And then the school has come out with open arms being like, no, we're here in it with you. And I'm not a player. I don't see the daily operations. But from the little bit I've met with uh, Terry Gallick, seems very in character of her to be exactly like that. Scott Green, from everything I've read, haven't met him, seems like that's the kind of guy he is too. Very much open arm, Vandal family. We're all here. He's a Moscow guy, Moscow Bear, Idaho Vandal. Like, he's got it. And then, yeah, say what you want about Paul Petrino, but I don't think anyone's ever said that Paul Petrino doesn't care about his players. Like Paul Petrino gets a lot of flack for a lot of things. He's at his core. He's always been classified as a player's coach. People just don't see it because they're not players, but people like him. And I think that, I mean, Alex might be able to speak on this more than I can, but you don't usually see players bad mouthing Paul. I feel like most players feel like Paul has their best interest in mind. Um, So I just think we have a really solid, like, core group of leadership right now to handle this situation. And I think it's showing between what the players are saying and what's getting reported now that, yeah, it might not be what everyone wants. It might not be popular, but we're doing it as a family and everybody feels supported in it, which I think is what's important. And hopefully more schools go to their players now and go, look what Idaho did. What do you guys think? Confidential. We won't know who said it. Where are you guys at as do you feel safe? maybe make it do you want to play have them both how many people just don't want to play and how many people have safety concerns is it the same people is there crossover more schools should be asking these questions like i said to their athletes so i'm glad that idaho did it i hope it starts the trend that more schools do it yep yeah all right um transfer portal eastern washington might be looking for a new president i wonder who's right down the road and you know, with their the how negative you know their financial situation is, um, maybe maybe they need a steady hand to guide them I, on the I, step down. I think what they I do know is you know their football program is not necessarily where it was just a few short years ago. 
Uh, I think you come in. This conference is good, but it's just a little too big and a little bit too much travel. I think somebody that could come in, really evaluate the great North Athletic Conference as a solution to the financial issues is probably the best fit there at Eastern. And um, I think there's a teacher on Moscow. Puget Sound and Linfield and – yeah, really fitting really well with Puget Sound and Linfield and D3 and Wentworth. We kind of Spokane, right? Right, right there. Oh, it's, it's Eastern Washington, Central Washington. The rivalry is in the yeah. name. I mean, yeah. I think they. I, think I know a guy who can get this done. I think I know, I know a guy. A guy. If you need his number, uh, reach out, Eastern Washington. We can help you out. Uh, any <laughs> yeah. other transfer portals? Oh, yep. <laughs> We've talked about Eastern Washington struggling, you know, to raise money, you know, through donations. What if Idaho threw, threw in, uh, you know what, you guys hire Chuck Staben. We're going to push a bunch of our boosters over to you guys for a year. <laughs> like, Do we will. They've, they've had so far. We will. Hey, we had fund the fire the Chuck Staben million movement. dollars deficit on your stadium if you guys take Staben off our hands. <laughs> we, had the, we had the fire Chuck Staben movement. I think we need to create the higher Chuck Staben movement. That's right. Instead of fire FCS, fire Chuck Staben. How can you make it like great Northwest athletic conference? There's Chuck in it. Like go can't get enough at Chuck. I don't know. Yeah. Got it. Uh, all right. Anyways. Easiest transfer portal right there. Gotta love the transfer portal. It is the best new thing on tops of the club. Um, all right. So yeah, time to close the bar. Uh, make sure you follow us on all of our Instagrams, our, our Instagrams, our Twitter handles. You can follow us on Instagram too if you want, I guess. Uh, but maybe most importantly, follow all the Big Sky Podcast Network. Uh, you can follow the kind of the collective at Big Sky Podcasts on Twitter. But we got tons of content coming out. Right now, we're the only one that I'm aware of that's done a Big Sky preview. So um, if you don't like our opinions, hopefully those guys will be dropping some here soon. Uh, gosh, we got 827 will be the re- date, uh, release date of our Idaho preview pending. We still have a season that's obviously up in the air. If something comes up, we'll do an emergency podcast and we'll be on here. If season for sure gets canceled, we'll not leave you high and dry. But as of now, like we, we said, should know by then, hopefully yeah, we should know. Yeah, if then. We don't know by then we got a whole different issue, but and, and Chris, they, Chris, real, real quick, yeah. Chris, I'm going to say we might, we've lost two games. Be prepared, maybe to get some games put back on the schedule. Don't know who it is. Just found out. I found out that that could be in the works, pending oh, yeah. news from the NCAA and the Big Sky. So yeah, just Terry Terry uh, brought that up a little bit in her thing. Um, but she, when she was asked about that, her comment was, "We didn't talk about what to say if I'm not allowed to say anything." And you're like, "Oh, <laughs> so so uh, JMU." So We'll see. Uh, I doubt they would do that. Boise but, State. Uh, anyways, we'll see what happens with Idaho. Um, hopefully, and t- until the plug is pulled and we are dead, uh, that that's a terrible analogy right now. But until the season is gone, we're going to act as if the season is on. So uh, that's our, our tactics here going into it. Um, I want to thank all of our Patreons, Dallas Hammer, Sean Kramer, and, oh, we just got a new one the other day. I need to add that. So while I look that up, you guys let the people know how they can find you and what you have going on in your life. Find me at Brian Marceau. That's M-A-R-C-E-A-U. Otherwise, man, I'm like everyone else, hoping we have a season. Uh, School's not too far from starting as well. 
Uh, yeah, find me Twitter uh, at Boatman Alex. Um, if you follow me, you'll get a lot of Vandal retweets and mostly Manchester United retweets. Um, next few days are big crucial days for me. Um, Jane Sancho probably coming to United. If you don't know who that is, he's the next Messi. That's all I have to say. Go United, Chris. That's just for you. Well, uh, I want to give a thank you to Matthew Jan- Jan- Jancic. Janicek. Sorry, I'm probably messed that up. Those are the three members of the Tubbs Club. You can join that. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash Tubbs of the Club. It'll be in the description of the podcast, description of the YouTube. Uh, we have levels from 99 cents up to the Tub Club, which is $19.48, founding year of the Corner Club. Yeah, yeah, we thought of it all. Um, that comes with each level has different perks. Some of them are just shout outs. Some of them are maybe some apparel. Getting to talk to us, being on an episode, stuff like that. So check out all the tiers. Find one that works for you, your financial situation. We get it's tough right now. Um, we hope we bring you enough content that you feel that maybe 99 cents a month is worth it. Um, but if not, we'll never have a paywall. We just, people ask how they can help out. We sell shirts. We have more of these. Contact us if you want to buy them. Um, got them in white and black and all sizes. But. Yeah, that, that's it. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will talk to you about Idaho, hopefully in two weeks. Fingers crossed. I mean, or whatever our players want. I think that's a great way to leave it. May the best band in all the land, the sound of Idaho, play us out. Go Vandal. Go Vandal. Go Vandal.